Hi, I'm Lawrence Krauss and welcome to the Origins Podcast. Scott Aronson is quite simply one of the most remarkable mathematical intellects I've had the pleasure to interact with since, say, Edward Witten, who uh, is a remarkable physicist and string theorist and uh, has really, um, and was the, is the only physicist I know who also won the uh, Field Medal for Mathematics. Scott reminds me of of of, uh, of Ed in in the depth and breadth of his thinking, and it's kind of appropriate that I actually first met Scott in Washington uh, a number of years ago when we were both getting awards. But he was getting the Waterman Prize, which is basically the highest award of the National Science Foundation for for young researchers under forty. And the first person who'd ever won that prize was indeed Ed Witten. It was it, it, so it's a uh, it's a pleasure to have known that, that, that Scott won that award. And since, since that time, when we briefly met, I've, I've come to watch and learn uh, as Scott, as a computer scientist, applies his mathematical expertise to a broad variety of areas, thinking in particular um, about quantum computing, an area in which he's become a, a leader in, in, in pushing forward the theoretical ideas necessary to, uh, to, to think about what quantum computing can and can't do and how it could do those things. He also writes a, a fantastic blog explaining quantum computing people. And then, of course, recently, he's moved uh, uh, to the idea of AI safety. He spent some time at OpenAI and, and uh, been thinking deeply about how one can, can implement the kind of um, uh, safety measures that many people worry about when they think about unrestrained general AI in, 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 in our society. I happen to think many of those societal concerns are, are overblown, but nevertheless, fortune favors the prepared mind, and, and, um, and his mind is wonderful, and the preparations he's been doing are, are incredible. So we, we were able in this episode to, to talk about everything from computer science to AI safety, focusing on this rather esoteric idea of computational complexity. And so we worked through some rather sophisticated ideas in, in computation to talk about the basics, many aspects of quantum computing, which complement nicely my earlier podcast with John Preskill, who's a physicist who's come, in, who, who's, who's come into that field. And it's interesting to see how a computer scientist uh, thinks about those same issues. And then we move to the uh, the thorny question of, of AI safety and some of the remarkable ideas that, that Scott has re with regard to that. It was a remarkable conversation. He's a, as I say, an extremely deep and thoughtful intellect, and it was a pleasure to finally be able to spend time with him again. I thank him for being on it. I think you'll find it amazing. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you want to watch the podcast without commercial interruptions, I hope you'll subscribe to our Critical Mass Substack site. Uh, and all of the uh, paid subscriptions for that go to help support the Origins Project Foundation, which produces the podcast, among many of the other public science um, programs that we do. And uh, if you if you uh, can't do that, you can certainly watch it uh, uh, later on on YouTube, or of course listen to the podcast on any podcast site. Regardless of how you do so, I hope you uh, are as um, inspired and provoked by the thoughts of Scott Aronson and quantum computing and, of course, the, the issue of AI safety, which is going to be becoming more and more important as AI systems become more sophisticated. So without further ado, 
Scott Aronson. Well, Scott, thank you so much for making the time to, to be here. It's great to see you again. It's been a while, actually. Yes. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, you know, it's, it's, I've been looking forward to this and as I'll explain, dreading it for the same reason, um, because I admire you so much. Um, we first met, I think at least 12 or 13 years ago, maybe 14 years ago now, 13, I guess. Uh, um, at, at, I think that was the first time we met when, 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 um, we were both getting awards from the National Science Foundation and mm -hmm. we were, we shared a, a limo in Washington, yes. the State Department. And um, I confess, so I was getting some uh, uh, pu public service award. And was that where you received the Waterman Award? It was. Yeah. yeah, you know, I confess, maybe because I was so into myself that time, that I forgot it was a Waterman Award till much later. And um, it's just as well. I mean, um, anyway, it was an amazing night. It was a lovely evening and it was lovely to meet. You were, I think, newly married then or uh, maybe. I was, yes. And, yes, and my kids were not yet born. Yes. Yeah, yes. Your kids weren't born and it was lovely to see mm -hmm. you and your wife. Yeah, a mm -hmm. young couple. So excited about this award. I knew, I knew it was an award for young people, but the Waterman Award is the highest prize that the National Foundation, Science Foundation gives to a scientist under 40. And I normalize it let me say, because I remember when it first was created, I'm old enough, and I remember when they, they asked for nominations. And it wasn't surprising to me that I think the first recipient was Ed Witten, um, who is, I think by almost anyone's standards, the smartest person in the world. Um, and I thought, okay, well, that's a nice bar. And I have to say I'm just, that having thought about, I've known, things you know i've known of your work and read some things by you but deciding to go into understanding you i suddenly realized that i had the same feeling that i have when i'm when i was talking to ed who's an old friend of mine and and, and a nice guy as well but the kind of uh, the sense of the depth and breadth of your intellect is remarkable to me i i'm saying that outright i i'm intimidated in some sense by it it's, it's astounding I want to hopefully do it justice. I, I think the problems you're looking at are interesting, and the way and your attitude is refreshing. You add you, you, a difference in the sense that you also like to write about your problem, your th thoughts, which I don't think Ed does. But mm -hmm. I, I kind of feel, you know, as a preview yeah. of what we're going to talk about, I kind of feel that um, well, that that when you talk about computationally hard problems. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, you're a computationally hard problem, and this, I'm, you know, I may, I, I, I may require not computing polynomially time, but exponential time mm -hmm. to fully grasp um, um, uh, your, your your intellect. And 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 in in that sense, and I'm going to say things that people will understand right now, but we'll get to it. In that sense, I'm hoping that p is equal to np because I'm hoping that I can somehow understand. Um, how to get to where, 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 where you are. Um, and, well, you're, um, well, you're, you're, you're extremely kind. I mean, I have gotten to know Ed a little bit over the last five years through the, uh, the it from qubit 
collaboration and things like that. Uh, uh, I'm uh, I, I will certainly not be able to to uh, 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 simulate him uh, uh, in, in, in any way, shape, or form. And you know, well, I I feel like the, uh, the you know the 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 questions that uh, I work on seem you know ridiculously elementary in many ways. You know, compared to uh, what 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 my friends in string theory do, but. Uh, you know, I like I like being in a field where uh, 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 that's relatively young and where the questions are are very easy to state. Yeah, well, some that, but as you just alluded, yeah. questions that are easy to state are not necessarily easy to answer. In fact, sometimes no, they're the hardest ones to answer. Mm. Uh, you know, I, my new books about known unknowns, and in some sense, mm -hmm. the, as I say at the beginning of the book, and it really hit me, is that the problems at the forefront of science that we don't understand are precisely the problems that almost everyone has asked themselves at some point yeah. or another. So it's kind of interesting to see that. But I, I um, but you know, on the other hand, I, you know, I can ask questions without making sure I understand what the questions are. In fact, I was thinking about that because we'll get to JatGPT. I'm hoping that we may have a very fascinating discussion, even if I'm kind of like JatGPT, where I don't really understand exactly what the what the questions I'm asking are, or what the or what you're saying is. But I know how to get there. So. Anyway, let's see where we go. I, I find yeah. it fascinating. And I should say that, you know, I, I, I wanted to talk to you as a initially also for a variety of reasons. One, because I wanted to talk to you, but also as a compliment. As you may know, I did a, a, a long podcast with my old friend, John Presco, who, mm -hmm. uh, who goes back with me back to when we were at Harvard together mm -hmm. and before he started working in quantum computing. Mm -hmm. I like to mm -hmm. kind of think that, that our, the issues we worked on on black holes and information are really what may have spurred him into thinking about quantum computing. I watched that transition happen as we were yes. working on papers. Um, yeah, no, John has been instrumental in my career. I mean, I, uh, uh, you know, one of the most important summers, uh, uh, you know, that, that I ever spent was at Caltech in 2001, uh, going to his group meetings and, you know, just feeling invigorated after every one to, uh, He's a, uh, he's a remarkable uh, teacher. I understand what quantum mechanics says about computation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, and and but he comes at it from it from a different point of view. He's not he by training a computer scientist, right. and you are. And I thought, you know, quantum computing, which we talked a little about a lot about with him. I thought the more different directions you can come at it from, the more useful it might be from the public. But I, um, but I wasn't. But I so that's where I wanted to start. And then when you sent me things to read, when you mm -hmm. kindly sent me things to read, when I asked you, you know, maybe some for some sources, it will, of course, went way beyond quantum computing. And, 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 and as we'll talk about, your interest in the last year, at least, has been in AI safety, which is something that's on everyone's mind. But in the, in, mm -hmm. in the interim, what I began to learn about with that, your real interest, your, where your heart is, is computational complexity. I think that's a fair statement. The mathematical yeah. question of computational complexity. So I want to talk about how we got there before we start talking. Sure. We'll talk about quantum computing, computational complexity, and AI safety. Hopefully, we'll get through it in the next day or two. Um, but as you may know, if you've watched any of these, and maybe you haven't, I like to. Uh, it's an origins podcast, and I like to start by learning about the people I'm fascinated by, about their origins and where they, how they got to where they, where they now are. Now. The first thing I learned when I read a little bit about you is that your father was a science writer who then became a public relations executive. Yes. So was his training was was his training in science or was his training he in was writing? An, both of my parents were English majors. English uh, majors. Okay, uh, perfect. Yes. 
Um, mm-hmm. Well, that does explain some things. Well, that's that's of interesting. But English majors clearly, well, in your father's side, and I want to ask about your mother a little bit because I don't know anything about yeah. her. But in your father's mm-hmm. side, you know, I think it's great when English majors become science writers because ideally, if if an English major can understand it, then anyone can understand it. Uh, yeah. And 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 so it's better they don't get lost in jargon. But what caused him to be a science writer? Well, uh, he studied at Penn State, and he actually studied with a. Uh, a somewhat well-known science fiction writer named uh, Phil Class. Okay. And, uh, and um, he was, you know, extremely interested in, well, in, in, in science and in science fiction. And uh, he, um, um, uh, you know, he, he found jobs, you know, writing uh, uh, articles about, you know, the Big Bang, about cosmology. Uh, you know, he interviewed Steven Weinberg. Actually, you know, when, when I first met uh, Steven Weinberg uh, 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 seven years ago, when I was considering moving to UT Austin, uh, he confused me with my father, who, who he had still remembered from uh, oh, really? having, having, having a, 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 a be, being interviewed by him in the 70s. Oh, fascinating. But, uh, but uh, um, um, you know, he, he, he wrote for, um, you know, science magazines. He also wrote for uh, Playboy and Penthouse, which uh, which had which I uh, maintain had great articles. Science magazines. I used to tell my mother that I read Playboy for the articles, and I did. He had these Playboys in his office, right? But but uh, you know, he could legitimately say, like, you know, I have an 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 article in here about why is there more matter than antimatter? You know, in the (laughs) and they had great interviews. um, I've uh, uh, Claudia Dreyfus is an old friend of mine. Yeah. Science writer, and she used to do interviews for them. She interviewed me once, and it ended up being mm-hmm. for Scientific American. But, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's, so, it was it was a great source of it's a kind of yeah. Big... So that was that was what he did in the in the seventies, and then he uh, uh, was hired by Bell Labs uh, to be a science writer there. And uh, actually, when uh, Penzias and Wilson, you know, won the Nobel for the yeah. cosmic microwave background, uh, he was involved in, you know, the the publicity efforts around that, oh. right? And so, so he got to know Arno Penzias well. And uh, uh, mixed blessing. But uh, yeah. um, um, you know, and 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 then you know, when when Congress was you know debating you know uh, breaking up uh, AT and T, you know, uh, uh, you know, he was responsible for, you know, writing speeches about, you know, why is this going to destroy Bell Labs, you know, which, of course, it did destroy Bell Labs, you know, on the other hand, we all got, you know, cheap phone service. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was the trade off. <laughs> yeah, it did destroy Bell Labs and nothing like a yes. monopoly if you want to spend time on research. Yeah, and then, money, and then he and then he moved to the to the corporate side and uh, became you know, publications for Bell for, for AT&T. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, he's, he was at AT&T. Uh, and then, and then it Lucent after they spun off uh, okay. Lucent, and then and then it Avaya. So um, yeah. So, now, so did that's... he write? Did did he ever write any science fiction? By the way, I believe he did. But you never saw it. No, uh, no I, I, years ago, I probably read one of his short stories. But uh, no, he was he was also you know constantly uh, you know giving giving me uh, feedback on my writing, usually just telling me to uh, cut cut cut. You know, well, just, you know, it, it's yeah, emit needless words. Yeah, uh, like yeah. Well, you know, might say it didn't I, it didn't completely take that advice. <laughs> well, that's okay. I like I like yeah. uh, for me. I often, especially when I'm trying to understand something, more is sometimes better. Um, mm. But. Uh, but it explained a lot to me when I learned a little bit about your father, because, mm. you know, you have been involved 
And in spite of the fact that for many people, blogging is the death of, 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 the, of their science. I know at least one physicist who I'd say that for. But really? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think so. Um, I'm not going to mention. I mean, I mean, I, I I feel like blogs are already something that like you you, you look back on with, with nostalgia. Like, gosh, you know, people really uh, uh, express themselves, you know, in depth and uh, back in that lost golden age of blogging, right? <laughs> well, now you know, it's, it's great. I mean, but something yeah, yeah. you know, your blogs have yeah. been very useful for a lot of people, and that's great. And mm. but now I understand why why you're motivated. At least the example of why you're motivated to write because. You know, your intellectual interest is in an area that is, is in some sense, as far divorced from public explication as you might imagine, in the, in, mm. uh, especially since it involves mathematical complexity, two words which generally are an anathema to the public. Um, and, and so, yeah, so now I understand why, where you got that instrument. And by the way, I, I know you've got a great idea for a science fiction story. You've told it enough that I'm expecting someone else mm. to write it. If if no if you don't but maybe we'll talk about your science fiction story before before right. we're done because it's a great it's a great idea I agree mm -hmm. but you have to know enough to know what the mm -hmm. what the hook is for science fiction what about your mother your mother was an English major yeah so so uh, um, my my mom was a uh, remedial reading teacher and she actually taught uh, uh, for decades in in inner city Philadelphia. Um, and uh, you know she she uh, uh, you know worked at uh, Catholic schools mostly, uh, uh -huh. but you know the the you know but 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 she was a, a, a an employee of, of of the city right, and uh, the 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 Supreme Court you know kept changing its mind about whether she was allowed to be in the building or whether she had to be in a trailer outside the building. Uh, it was a big separation of church and yeah, state. Church and state. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, she was, uh, uh, you know, you know, the, you know, these, you know, although kids went to Catholic school, if they had uh, reading difficulties, they were entitled to, you know, a, sure. a, a specialist to help them. And so uh, she was, uh, you know, and um, um, an, 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 an expert in that. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, she, she could have, probably been you know uh you know done 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 research in that area and you know and and uh done done much more in it but she she really sacrificed a lot for you know for me and my brother i mean she uh you know she wanted a job where she could be there for us so. well that's lovely yeah now um yeah. who which one of them or maybe both was you know because he was a science writer is that what what sparked your interest in science in the first place Oh gosh, I mean, it, it's it, it's kind of like you know how you know you, how could you, you not hear that there's a I, you, I mean you hear that there's a maximum speed that anything can go at right. And but a lot of people don't hear that. One hundred eighty six thousand miles per second, right? Like how can you how can you not want to understand? Well, yeah, well, but a lot of people don't even know that. What would happen if fact, I tried so. to go faster? Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> but where did you first hear that? A lot of people don't have never heard uh, well, that. Well, I mean, I mean, my, my 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 dad told me you know a bunch of these things when I was four or five um you know let me think you know I mean I had you know I had science books that I read so, you know I think you know I uh, uh you know I, at some point you know when I was 10 or 11 I started devouring Isaac Asimov uh me too well I, I was a yeah. little older probably 13 Isaac Asimov yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, as well but yeah okay yeah and, and then and then after that came uh Richard Dawkins uh Carl Sagan uh Bertrand Russell um you know and then I just 
uh, started devouring biographies of scientists. Uh, so, you know, biographies of, you know, well, you know, Einstein and Turing and Ramanujan yeah, and yeah. just, you know, uh, uh, learning about, you know, the, 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 you know, the whole world. So the whole, you know, almost. Well, let's go back. I mean, yeah. that's the next yeah, thing yeah. I was going to ask. So you were, you, uh, it's, you, you got part of your interest in sciences from reading and that's certainly what sparked, mm -hmm. that's what got my interest going. Um, mm -hmm. But was there, I assume because they're both English majors, reading was a big deal. For you, you read a tremendous amount when you were younger. Your parents encouraged that. I, 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 I read a pretty good amount. I mean, you know, I was, I was also playing Nintendo a lot. Yeah. yeah. Right? You know, once I, once I had that, right. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that uh, for a while, my, my main ambition in life was to uh, create my own Nintendo games, right. Because, well, you know, you know yeah. these were, these were whole universes and yet, you know, unlike our universe, these were universes that apparently someone completely understood because they had created them. <laughs> well, you know, that's yeah. not too different, it seems to me, from where you ended up, but we'll mm. see. Um, but, mm. you know, we were joking that your kids like to play with, you know, on their iPads. And I said, if you were, mm -hmm. if you were their age now, that's what you'd be doing, I think. But, but you, so you, you got exposed to science in some sense, primarily through your dad and, and through the access to books and books by scientists and about scientists, mm -hmm. which of course, mm -hmm. certainly one of the reasons I write is to return the favor. Um, but you also had another experience that I, I think, I assume was formative. Your father went, you went to Hong Kong for a year. Yes. And, and that, that took you to a school that allowed you to do mathematics way beyond what would have been yeah, possible well, in was, an American school? It, it, was, it, was, it was a little complicated. So, you know, I, I uh, for, 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 for nine years, all through, you know, elementary, I, I went to a, a Hebrew day school. And, you know, it was not because my parents were particularly religious. It was mostly that the Hebrew day school, you know, alone among all of the schools said, okay, he can take a math book and he can, uh, you know, proceed at his own rate. Right. Oh. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, um, and, and then, you know, uh, let, I let, went let me step a, back. Let me yeah. just step back. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm sorry, yeah. but I'm interrupting you here for a reason. No, Often fine, I don't. But no, no, Sorry. I interrupt too much. I know everyone tells me, but but you could take a back math book with you. You were precocious, beyond precocious as a mathematical person. Where did the interest in math come from, as opposed oh. to science? Well, that that that's as early as I can remember, really. Okay, so you just were yeah, fascinated I mean, with, you know, I, yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, I think you know, when when I was three or four, I was interested in just what are the biggest numbers that that you that you know that I did could you name. talk to anyone about that or or did you ask Yeah, I mean I I mean to my to my parents and then and then at school I had a uh, I had a teacher who was uh, um you know really formative for me named so uh, encouraging uh, teachers uh, Mrs. For young people, Mrs. Lacka. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then and, and encouraged you to keep and, and so in, in, yes. in Jewish day school or whatever you could mm -hmm. you could follow math and they let you do that which they they let me you know at least at least uh, uh you know go, uh, be, be be somewhat accelerated um and then you know in in seventh grade i went to public school and uh you know was was allowed to be uh um you know to do uh, uh the 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 uh honors algebra then and and then uh i uh and 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 then um you know after that is when we we all moved to hong kong for a year because uh my dad became the uh 
director of AT&T's uh, Asia Pacific Public Relations uh, Division. And, uh, uh, and, and so they, they, they paid for us to go to a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a fancy uh, private school for, you know, uh, you know, so, you know, so, um, um, you know, uh, for, 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 for expats and for, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, Chinese people who could afford it. It's called, you know, Hong Kong International School. Uh, but uh, there I, I was placed in eighth grade. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I um, you know, it turned out that, that uh, uh, it would not work for me to, you know, go over to the high school to take math. It just didn't work logistically. There was also, you know, bullying. There was, you know, a lot of things I didn't like about it. And so then, you know, um, um, ultimately, you know, the, the uh, you know, we convinced them to just let me skip to ninth grade uh, uh, entirely. And then, um, um, you know, and then, and then also, you know, uh, uh, skip more in math, I, you know, math, you know, in some sense was sort of the, the uh, excuse, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, at, at this point, like, like, as soon as I understood that I, you know, like, it was possible to do such a thing, mm -hmm. then I just sort of wanted to get out of uh, the school environment uh, as, as quickly as I could, you know, and, you know, and I, I still don't know whether, whether uh, uh, I was right, right, whether, whether, uh, uh, you know, think things ended up better or worse, but, uh, you know, uh, when, when I, when I came back to the U.S. Uh, the year after, then I was like, well, you know, I, I was, uh, um, you know, a, you know, in ninth grade, but it was really sort of like 10th grade, so really I should be in 11th grade. <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh and and so then i i uh you know i, I did that and then, you know and then I, I finished the the ap calculus that year and um and then and then uh, the, the school had said that you know i would be able after that to just take you know stanford had this online learning uh course you know and i could do multivariable calculus or differential equations uh but then it turned out that i couldn't do that you know, not even if my parents paid for it, right? Uh, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to even just sit in a room to do that. And so I said, you know, again, I used that as an excuse. And I said, uh, you know, there was a program in upstate New York uh, called the Clarkson School, where you live at Clarkson University, which is, you know, way up in, in Potsdam, and you uh, take college courses, and you do that as your senior year of high school. So I said, you know, why don't I go there? Uh, and, you know, I had, I had many reasons for wanting to get out of high school, but, uh, you know, my parents, uh, you know, after some convincing were, were kind enough to let me do this. And uh, we had the car all packed up, ready to go there. And like, as the car was all packed up, then we got a phone call from, uh, you know, a teacher at the high school who, you know, like one who had really supported me. And he said, I have great news. I finally arranged that he can take multivariable calculus. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, by then it was too late. And so then, you know, I was, I was, I was 15 when I started college and uh, I, um, you know, after a year at Clarkson, sometimes your original high school is nice enough to give you a diploma, uh, but mine would not uh, because I was missing phys ed. So they said I had to spend the summer doing push-ups, basically. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and this was a problem because, you know, I had gotten, you know, you, I, I had applied to other colleges, you know, as, as a freshman and, and, and Cornell was nice enough to accept me uh, out of all the places I applied to. Uh, so, uh, so I was going to Cornell, 
but uh, uh, you know, I needed a high school degree and uh, uh, to to enroll. And so then, um, um, you know, eventually, you know, the, the plan was for me to just get a New York State GED. And there was a rule that you had to be uh, 17 to get it. But, but, but my mom spent some hours on the phone with them and convinced them to give me a GED. So and you were what, 16, you were 15. I was, yeah, I was, I was 15 at the time. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then 16 when I started at Cornell. So when yeah. you started now, you, yeah. you, your braids, it's true that not only did you not enjoy your high school because of their restricting mm -hmm. you from doing what you wanted, but your grades weren't that good there either, were they? Yeah, I mean, I had a, you know, I had a lot of conflict with, uh, uh, with, with, a, with a chemistry teacher, for example, who, who gave me a C, you know, and I just remember, you know, the, the one thing I clearly remember from that class is that, like, you know, when, when, when you had a, a calculation to do, you know, even if you had the right answer, it would be marked wrong if you didn't write one mole divided by one mole oh, and then yeah. cross both of them out. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to sympathize a little with your, <laughs> namely, when it comes to physics, often, on, and chemistry is just really a part of physics, um, but, you know, understanding dimensional quantities and uh, is very useful for understanding how to get the right answer and even what the right, right equations are. No doubt. No doubt. So I'll give him, no I'll give him, but on the other hand, chemistry teachers, Next to math teachers are often the worst in the world. So, mm -hmm. so um, no, but but also, you know, I was, you know, I it, it became clear that you know I was not good at chemistry experiments. Right? Yeah, well, and, sure. And you know, and 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 but 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 high school labs are such a weird thing because you know you are graded on whether you get you know the answer you're supposed to get, and you know the incentive is overwhelming to just fudge things to get that answer yeah it's like yeah, teaching yeah. the opposite of what you want to teach people if, if yeah, they're i agree the, to, to, the process the process is yeah. what's important yeah no and yeah. it's a lot we won't yeah. maybe we'll get into education later on anyway. but yeah yeah process sure. and asking questions not the answers uh, mm. especially in a world where we have smartphones and soon mm. other and chat gpt mm. um uh but okay you enter cornell you and you but now, by the way, at the same time, one thing we skipped, and this will become relevant later on. So you're you're prodigious and prodigiously talented in mathematics, clearly. Um, but you also were, you know, started at the same time as you learned calculus around age eleven. You also started to do computer programming. Yeah, it felt like you were already way behind the curve. Was that because yeah. you had friends who'd been doing it from the time they were five, or or just? Uh, you, well, you know? I, I met uh, when, when I when I was twelve. I. Uh, 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 at, at my uh, uh, junior high school, I met uh, another kid named named Alex, who uh, uh, had had been programming for much longer than me. Could you know uh, uh, create amazing things in uh, Visual Basic, and you know, and it, it was clear that I was never going to be uh, as good as he was. Now he he became my best friend. He still is. He's now a very well known computer security researcher, uh, oh, Alex Alderman. Great. Uh, he's uh, often in the news for, uh, uh, you know, especially in the in the last few years for uh, studying the security problems with electronic voting machines. Oh, but, wow. You know, oh, but, yeah, but even even story. even when he when we were 12 years old, he was extremely interested in, you know, hacking the school computers and, uh, you know, and, well, and, and, and uh, sort of showing how ridiculously poor the security was. And, you know, and he and, you know, and, and, and he had a sense of sort of what was actually going on in the machines right not not just what could in principle be going on but you know but what was and and uh, uh i think i think 
you know, uh, 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 um, um, Alex was, was part of how I learned that, you know, I am, I am not cut out to be a software engineer, you know. Uh, well, that's, at the, but that was probably very useful for you because you could, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of smart kids who just get in that morass of, of mm. programming and building apps. And so, of course, some of them become rich. That's a different story. Yeah. But yeah. when they could have, when they actually have the aptitude to do other things, to do other things, and it's very seductive. Mm. And of course, the money is very seductive if you're, a young person, right? Well, the, you know, there, there, there. I mean, I mean, there is this this kind of running joke that, uh, you know, we we uh, see someone who you know left a PhD program and and start you know start a Google or or yeah. or, or an Amazon and get you know twenty billion dollars, and we say to ourselves like, man, it's so sad. They really could have been something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I think of Nathan Mirvold, for example. <laughs> mean, you know, that's you know didn't, wasn't able to get a I job mean, in physics, but he did okay. Right. Yeah. I, right, right. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's that that's one perspective you can take. But, you know, I did face this sort of decision point when I was a teenager, like do you know, the you know, this was the time when, you know, uh, all of the these Internet companies were being started. You know, I I, uh, I knew that there was this cool research project at Stanford or something called PageRank that, mm -hmm. you know, these guys, Brin and Page were doing. Right. Yeah. Because you know, I had also been thinking about, you know, how do you optimize the web how do you think about the web as a directed graph you know those were i, I, I that was actually the subject of my first paper which i you know wow. did when i was at clarkson when i when i was 15 you could have been uh, rich you know so 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 the, you know the, the, those were all things of, of great interest to me um but you know do i uh, uh try to you know go to silicon valley start a company or do i go into uh research and you know i i feel like uh, you know, I I, I, the, the, I think the you know the way I, I put it recently was that like uh, in 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 the end I was too selfish to try to get rich. <laughs> like you know, like I, I, like if 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 I if I did make a you know a, 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 you know e e even if I succeeded at making a ton of money, which which was not at all certain, you know, it would just face me with 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 the burden of figuring out what to do with it and you know yeah, how yeah. could i have an impact on the world and it then, wasn't you know, that, it, that it, was, making yeah, a lot yeah. of money was not intellectually interesting i know that feeling when no. i was younger i certainly had it i mean i mean it might it might it might well have been i mean that that you know that you but, never know yeah, that that was that you know in, in, in any case that's a different branch of the wave function yeah it is a different branch of wave yeah. it's a difference it's a different set of skills you know i created a program in physics entrepreneurship once when i was chair of a department and mm -hmm. i learned how different having a successful company is and having good ideas. It's a very mm -hmm. different thing. And, right, and so right. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, now I've, you know, a, a little bit, I'm coming full circle because now I'm on leave. I'm, I am working at OpenAI. I'm yeah. out in San Francisco a lot. And it is, you know, it's so bizarre to go there, right? Because I still think of myself mentally as like this little kid, this little teenager, right? At OpenAI, I think I am literally like the oldest person there. Okay, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, just about everyone is, you know, in their 20s. And, you know, and I, I'm like, you know, well, the way we thought about machine learning back in the 20th century, which none of you young uns remembers. You know. <laughs> okay, now, um, well, we're going to get to where you are now, but we'll get there yeah. almost on I want I am intrigued, though, you, you, when you enter Cornell, you decide to do a BS in computing. And I, I mean, you think like a mathematician, when I read you, it reminds me of reading mathematics. So I did a degree in mathematics and one in physics, and I quickly hmm. became clear to me, even though I was good in mathematics, that I was a physicist and not a mathematician. And I got the same sense of impenetrability about some of your thoughts that I do ha have in mathematics. And so why did you why did you do computing rather than mathematics? 
Yeah. Uh, well, uh, okay. So there's a, a, a sort of silly reason. Uh, I, I took enough math to be a math major at Cornell, uh -huh. but in order to be one, I'd have to be in the College of Arts and Sciences. And then I would have to take two years of a foreign language. Oh, I see. <laughs> and at the time that just seemed like, you know, uh, uh, you know, a bit, a big waste to me, you know, just, just like, you know, when I had been at, at uh, uh, Jewish day school, you know, learning Hebrew, it seemed like the biggest waste to me. Now yeah. I'm married to an Israeli and I wish that I had paid more attention. Oh, okay. <laughs> I dropped out of Hebrew school three times. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, you know, I, I, I never had any uh, great facility with foreign languages. You know, I also tried to learn Mandarin uh, the year that I was in Hong Kong, and that was also uh, not a not a great success. But uh, that's fascinating. Uh, but 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 uh, so 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 I, I was in the College of Engineering, and uh, you know I was doing computer science there, and and I did you know take take a little bit of physics, uh, and you know, I realized that that my mind just does not sync with partial differential equations. You know, like okay, you know, I like okay, yeah, at some conceptual level, I yeah. I, I understand, but uh, you know, I just uh, um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't good at them, and uh, and and also, you know, I I, I you know the the, the 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 moments in the physics class when I got the most engaged was you know when there was a you know a mathematical point. Right. Yeah, like, no, it's, is it's this, that's fascinating. Is this you know, set countable it, or uncountable? Yeah, yeah. It and, was fascinating uh, for me. It was a revelation yeah. for me. I did a degree in math and one in physics, and I, mm. and and I was in you know therefore in the honors math, and I I was with mm. some really good mathematicians, and it shocked me because I figured if you're a really good mathematician, the physics would be trivial, and mm. and it shocked me that these guys who were light years behind beyond me in in math, I felt, I couldn't you know even introductory physics was a was difficult and it was interesting to me to see that it was actually made me feel better of course and yeah in some sense because I, physics was you know the difference for me was that i could I, I could when i was doing physics problems versus math problems i want to ask you this uh, with the physics problems i could see way down where we were going and where mm. you know where the future was math problems mm. i could do them but somehow mm. i could only see just one step beyond where mm. i was at best i and, see uh, I see. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I've spent my whole career in quantum computing, you know, interacting with physicists who were the yeah. majority of the field, you yeah. know, and, and very often feeling like an imposter because, you know, I, okay, at some point I learn what Hamiltonians are. <laughs> I learn how bosons and fermions work, right? But, it's, you know, these are all just things that I, I pick up on the streets, you know. Well, as, that's as, all right. As, I mean, it's picking up. You know, I, I think my, my, you know, retirement project will be to really seriously study quantum field theory and also general relativity right right <laughs> and okay. uh, well, you, you, you know but but uh, uh but but on the other hand you know what 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 uh, uh what i realized like uh pretty early on uh you know after I, I had gotten into quantum computing was that uh you know like you know there there could be uh, a particle physicists right who are like asking me to explain the bell inequality to yeah them. sure like yeah. the things that you know that i that, that were just the most basic to me were often things that the physicists didn't you know understand and wanted to understand yeah because they didn't and, really need to know and in some sense the bell i mean you know so, you work with quantum mechanics yeah, you don't need to that's know right, that's right that's right and and so so i actually you know had, had a whole like little career just giving colloquia in physics departments you know explaining the basics yeah. of quantum information and quantum yeah. computing you know which you know i didn't have to explain quantum field theory because yeah. they already know that yeah right? yeah 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 <laughs> yeah now, 
I will say one other, I'll interject one other thing. I don't want to interject myself too much, but it's a, yeah, when you sure. say you didn't do this because of, you didn't want to take foreign languages, it's intriguing to me because when I was reading all your stuff, it occurred to me how wrong I was about something. The first professorship I had at was at Yale. And mm -hmm. I think I got put on as, even as a junior faculty, the committee that determined science was to determine science requirements because Yale students basically didn't have to take science, mm -hmm. which is not surprising for Yale. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, and so we tried to sort of tr double or triple the science requirements. And we wanted, um, and, and the computer science department desperately wanted computer science to be an introductory science requirement. So we said, no, you know, mm -hmm. we want, ex we want a, a, an experimental science. And mm -hmm. so I, I remember saying what we could make it a foreign language requirement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Fortran or, or, or what do you, and, <laughs> I, and now I, I realize right. how completely, well, at the time it might've been true that the computer science in 1980 was not, but but at least for undergraduates. But it's certainly now that I read your stuff, I realized how wrong I was about about. about well, I mean, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, I mean, I mean part of what you know, uh, computer science majors learn is, is languages. But actually, there's a lot of complaints about the computer science major. You know that it it doesn't prepare people for you know uh, optimally for careers in tech because there's too much theory, you know, too much ideas yeah, and yeah, not enough hacking. But, you know, that's, 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 that's what it is, right? There's yeah, a, but you don't need, as, the as the 12 year olds who start companies show, you don't need to go to, you don't need to go to college to. to <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I think, I think, I think a lot of fields have this conflict. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, so, okay. So you chose math rather than computer science. Now, I, I mean, computer science rather than math. And I understand was to get away. By the way, that's why I chose a degree in math. Because it uh, as because it allowed me to skip doing ex an experimental physics class. <laughs> so, so you That's know, funny. and now I kind of. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. The other thing, you know, like like I I I realized that you know I wanted to prove theorems, right? I, I like proving theorems, uh, but then you know there's a question of which theorems, right? And in math, what you have is you know you have such you know, staggeringly high towers of abstraction, right? Yeah. Like even to get to where the frontier is, you know, even to understand the questions that are being asked at the frontier, right? Could take years. And mm -hmm. then when you finally reach that point, then it's very hard to explain to anyone who's still at the bottom, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, I feel like like theoretical computer science in a way was much younger. Like the questions were much easier to understand initially, and uh, you know, it, which which didn't make them easier. I mean, you know, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. You know, P versus P versus NP seems to be as hard as anything you know that's uh, yeah, well, ever it's, been asked, right? It's, but it's pretty uh, hard. We'll get to uh, it. Yeah, but but uh, but 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 at least you know you know, and you sort of see this. You know, there are these seven clay millennium problems, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. that you get the million dollar prize for, right? But uh, when people try to popularize them, they inevitably end up focusing on P versus NP, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's the one of the seven where you can explain to anyone on the street yeah, like, you can. why, you know, uh, 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 how could an answer to this question change civilization? Yeah, well, I hope so. We're going to get you to yeah. explain that. In the, yeah, in the yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but not, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get you to explain the Poincaré conjecture or something. <laughs> it's already solved, so it's a pathway. That's the right. That's the one that's solved. Yeah. yeah. Um, the So you, you went from be a, from an undergraduate, I'm almost finished with your life story before we get to the science, but <laughs> All um, right. uh, but I find it fascinating. You went to Berkeley, an interesting yes. choice, and you decide to work on quantum computing. Yes. Was that because of your, because you, let me, let me, I, I maybe I'll, I'll ask a leading question as a lawyer would say, was right. it, if I think about your interests now that I know them, which are mm -hmm. really in computational complexity, 
was it because quantum computing was was sort of the most exciting way to actually empirically kind of address that problem or or was it something else well well i i mean it was a this this new emerging field that sort of brought together computational complexity with some of the biggest questions about physics you know like you know is is quantum mechanics, you know, really true all the way up to macroscopic scales, yeah, yeah. right? And uh, uh, how should we think about quantum mechanics, right? You know, should we, uh, you know, uh, uh, believe or disbelieve in, you know, the the many worlds interpretation? And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, so, so, I mean, I think I, I first read about quantum computing in a popular article, you know, around 1995, like, you know, just shortly after Shor's factoring algorithm was discovered, mm-hmm. right? And it was about that. And it was saying, you know, the the usual wrong things that yeah. people still say about Shor's algorithm today. They say, you know, it works by just trying every possible divisor yeah. in a different parallel universe. Yeah. And then, you know, magically yeah. you get to pick the best one. And, and my first reaction when I read about this is like, this sounds like garbage. You know, this sounds like some physicists who just don't understand what they're up against, you know, that you <laughs> know, was like, probably you know, yeah, well, you know, an English that, major, that, too. And of course, it was right. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that uh, you know, like, like they, you know, they don't understand, you know, the church Turing thesis, right, that all, you know, uh, uh, different, you know, laws of physics can all, you know, reasonably well simulate one another and, uh, um you know, and 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 you know, it, it must be some some phenomenon of some small number of particles that they're just illegitimately extrapolating to a large number. You know, but of course, you know, I had to learn something about it, right? Yeah, so sure. uh, That's great. I um um I uh, uh you know the you know the 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 web itself was not that old, but you know there were already websites explaining. Uh, Shor's algorithm and and Grover's search algorithm, which had sort of just been discovered, you know, uh, for searching a list of uh, n items and only square root of n steps. And you know what what really struck me was that like you know I had I had read popular books at this point, you know, that said you know uh, quantum mechanics involves waves that are somehow also particles and they change when you look at them and you shouldn't even try to understand this it's you know it defies any you know and i said oh, okay fine whatever i guess i'm never going to understand that right uh, uh and 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 then when i as soon as i started reading about quantum computing it was completely different they said look here's here's the deal you know the state of a system is this unit vector of complex numbers <laughs> and you know they're they're kind of like probabilities, you know, but they're not probabilities because they're complex, you mm-hmm. know, you know, you can, you know, w- w- you can turn them into probabilities by taking their squared absolute values, mm-hmm. right? That's what happens when you mm-hmm. make a measurement. But when you don't make a measurement, then this vector of amplitudes just undergoes this, you know, linear transformations, these, un- you know, unitary transformations that preserve their norm. And I said, wait a minute, like, I, I, you know, I, I understood that. You know? <laughs> why, why didn't anyone tell me that before? <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah, well, and, then, and then, you know, and then, well, you know, with a little bit more than that, you know, what are the basic rules of a quantum computer? And then, you know, in, in some sense, you know, you are, you know, you are playing the same game as, you know, even, you know, someone who spent their life doing physics, right? You, uh, uh, yeah. you know, you, you, you know, the same rules that they know. I mean, yes, you know, the physicists may, 
you know, have all sorts of intuitions that come from scattering theory and, you know, that, that will let them think of, you know, uh, quantum algorithms that you can't, right? A great example of this would be Ed Farhi, you know, who was mm -hmm. my colleague at MIT for nine yeah. years, right? And, uh, you know, he worked with Jeffrey Goldstone yeah. and others, right? And they really invented quantum algorithms that I would never have been able to invent by leveraging their knowledge of, of particle physics. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, as a, you know, computer scientist, you know, I, you know, I might know things that they don't know. Right. And I can bring those to bear. And, sure. and you know, just, just, just understanding that there were these clear axioms. I mean, I mean, I mean, philosophically, you know, what, you know, how should we interpret them? What do they mean? People still argue about that, right? Yeah, we'll but, talk uh, about that, although you know, I'm not sure. But yeah, but, but, uh, but, but, but once you learn the axioms, then in some sense, you can, you can argue about those things too, you know, as an equal of, 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 of anyone, right? And, uh, you know, you, uh, it, it's true that, you know, there's a vast amount of physics, you know, beyond, just you know the the axioms of quantum mechanics, but in some sense, um, you know it, it's 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 kind of like uh, uh, you know with with uh, a, a, a classical computing, right? You know you can you know know the rules of uh, how a Turing machine works. You know that doesn't mean that you understand windows. That doesn't mean you understand uh, uh, um, you know all, all, all of the uh, uh, software frameworks that were built on top of it, right? But uh, you know, uh, like most of physics is just you know application software that is installed on the opera, you know, on on the that's why we say shut up and calculate. Know. We just we know what they are, and yeah. you just calc and you and you use that. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, you yeah. Unitary and, transformation and. and uh, so, so uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and that was not at all the way that, you know, uh, uh, quantum mechanics was taught in, you know, to physics majors, right? Certainly not at that time. Yeah, yeah you know, sure. It, 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 it's finally changing. It's starting to change now. But, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if I had been a physics major, I would not have learned it that way, right? What I would have learned was the historical order in which yeah, the you know, things were discovered, which means first you master classical mechanics, you know, and you learn about thermodynamics, you, you, you learn about classical field theory, and then you learn this whole you know, the whole shaggy dog story mm -hmm. of all of the anomalies that were discovered between 1900 and, you know, 1925, yeah. like until people finally figured out what's going on that, okay, you know, states are vectors of complex numbers, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, no. uh, you know, in, in, in quantum information, we do it a completely different way. Well, right? yeah, you, you, it's ahistorical. You know, but... uh, uh, you know let's, let's, let's assume, you know, uh, let's, let's grant that the experimentalists did a good job and they, uh, you know, and, 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 and let's try to understand, you know, what 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 did they discover, and and how do we make sense of it? Yeah. To be fair, I think people. I think I don't want to belabor this, but to be fair, I think mm -hmm. it's often taught that when quantum mechanics, because quantum mechanics is so hard to understand, that you kind of feel you want to lead students gently yeah. into it to show why physicists were yeah. dragged, kicking, and screaming, right. but and it, they just didn't invent this like, craziness. You know, Sometimes yes. the best you the, the the best way to get used to a cold pool is to just leap in. Jump in, know? I know, I know. Um, in any case, right. some people yeah. have argued. I remember one a friend. I remember one time in Toronto, I, he argued he was, and they tried. Mm -hmm. It was abysmal failure to teach quantum mechanics before classical mechanics. 
Because you don't need right. you know, in fact, I never uh, understood that. Well, okay. Well, I, I mean, never I mean, knew what a Hamiltonian really was until I did quantum mechanics. <laughs> right. I mean, really well, well, the thing it. is, like, I, I, I first knew a Hamiltonian as just, you know, the instantaneous time version of a unitary transformation. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. The thing you exponentiate to get unitary evolution. And then I had to go back and learn what it had to do with energy. Okay. Right. Well, that's and, good. You know, okay. and, and, and where it came from in classical physics. Right. But I mean, I think the, the, the danger in, in learning things, you know, the, you know, in starting with classical physics is that then you're always thinking about quantum mechanics as a sort of correction. Well, that's, to... we'll come back to that because I think that's right, part fine. of the huge problem. You spent, you yeah. wrote a whole long article for, mm. for philosophers, which shows mm. more patience than I would have. Mm. Um, about and one of the big arguments is interpretations of quantum mechanics, which I would argue is just a big waste of time. But um, but 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 well, but I mean I mean I mean I mean I mean I mean sometimes I feel like it's a waste of time, and then other times I feel like well, you know, look, you know, Bell was driven to discover the Bell inequality by obsessing about Bohmian mechanics. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, David, yeah. David Deutsch was driven to you know uh, propose quantum computing by obsessing about the many worlds. Yeah, which yeah, and and, so and I think, you like I think, me I both. Think philosophy. You know, a philosophy can be used. You yeah, know, philosophical questions can be science. nice springboards, but then yeah. then you yeah. get then you get away from them, and then you don't try. Mm. Then you don't harp on many yeah. worlds. You point out, we'll talk about. It. I was uh, you uh, like me think that his fixation with many worlds is misplaced because, well, we we'll get there maybe because all right, fine. We talked fine. about this in the context of quantum. Sure, we can we it can was go Sydney Coleman sure. Harvard who'd really mm -hmm. convinced me that you know that this was. The world is quantum mechanical. Why talk about trying to interpret it in terms of classical mechanics? We don't do that with anything else. But before we get there, um, the um, um, uh, there actually was um, oh yeah. But you but by having the way you have you learned it, what's really useful. I just was had a podcast with a well-known biologist the other day, and he had hmm. learned quantum mechanics incorrectly. He thinks quantum mechanics is indeterministic, which it isn't. It's just the linear equation. Well, it's just I mean, a it, it second order differential equation moving it, forward it, deterministically. It depends on at what level you look at it. Yeah, course. I know, but fundamentally, it's a deterministic theory, which is a unitary, nothing more deterministic. If, if, than unitary certainly, if you are a many worlder or or a Bohmian, then it is. But yeah. Anyway, well, I don't think you have to say that to do that, but we'll get there. Okay, you you went to the Institute for Advanced Study right after your PhD. I did. Who did you yeah. talk to? I mean, I was there for a while, and I it, well, there wasn't a was there a quantum computing group, or did you talk? So, about uh, well, not not exactly. Uh, there was a a you know there was and still is uh, one of the leading theoretical computer science groups, uh, and it's led by Avi Wigderson, uh, okay. who who I, who I had known. I'd actually spent a semester with him at that point at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, oh. and oh. then you know he 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 moved. He he was in, you know in the process of moving to Princeton, where where he still is, and. Um, uh, you know, he's he's in the in the school of mathematics. So I was I was part of his group. And, um, okay. Yeah, and and uh, you know it was it, you know in in uh, you know I mean I mean it, it was it was a very tough decision. I also you know you know really liked you know the idea of going to Caltech and you know right. working with John Preskill. Yeah. But uh, you know a large uh, uh, a large fraction of theoretical computer scientists go through Avi. Right. Okay. Now I understand that. Let me. Then you went. You went to MIT. Yeah. Yeah. And and but 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 I I did talk to um you know I actually gave a talk there about quantum computing that I was hoping the physicists would come to, but the one who came was Pete Hutt. Pete Hutt, who's all yeah yeah yeah. So I got I got I I so I did get to know Pete Hutt. 
a little. I, I did uh, talk once to Maldacena, um, uh, you know, and and I was tell you know trying to you know uh, you know this was like 2005, right? But I was trying to uh, see you know what what might string theory you know say about computational complexity, yeah. and you know he was reminiscing about it with me recently. Right. He was saying like, yeah, you know, there was you know, this crazy kid, you know, thinking that, that like quantum gravity and complexity theory were going to come together, you know, like, you know, how do I get how do I get him out of my office? And, you know, I mean, you know, he was he, he was actually very nice. He was very polite. But of course, you know, this was this was a decade before this integration really started to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well, yeah, yeah. I was wondering whether whether Ed or or. Well, actually, Freeman Dyson, I would have thought might have come because at least he. Was yeah, no, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, in, in retrospect, I wish that I had been bold enough to talk to Ed or to talk to Freeman Dyson, and, oh, yeah. and I wasn't. Okay. Yeah, when I was there, I yeah. those are the two I knew, but I didn't hang out huh. with the string theorists. So Freeman yeah. was the one I spent time with because he didn't talk to anyone. But, I mean, he talked to people, but he was right in the middle, yeah. and yeah. Um, and he yeah. was fascinating. But you went yeah. to so you went to MIT, which of course is a natural place to be. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I also had two years at the University of Waterloo, and that was oh yeah, that's right, you know, University yeah, of Waterloo. that had an institute for quantum computing. Yeah, so yeah. I, uh, I I went there. And yeah, they was, were they were quite pressing. That was yeah, that was that was that was uh, you know very important two years in my in my career, and then, yeah, and then after that, yeah, I uh, was lucky enough to get a faculty position at MIT. So, uh, and that's where I was for nine years. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask, as, uh, because I mentioned you're not the first person I know who left Boston for Austin. Uh, a lot of my colleagues did when I was at Harvard and other places. Mm -hmm. And um, well, Mike, well, as you mentioned, my, Steve Weinberg was the first of the bunch of to make yes. that. To make and that. he was, he was actually involved in recruiting us. To uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I, 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 you know, I would be surprised if it wasn't the case. Steve is a hero uh, and, a, and a, an amazing I used to yes. visit Austin regularly to see him, just ah. to see him. Probably the only person I used to see there. Um, hmm. But why did you move? Was it be, was it because they created a center for quantum computing, or or was uh, well, it? Well, uh, I mean, I mean, the 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 immediate thing was just that my wife and I had a two body problem to solve. That's why. That's why he moved to Austin as well. Okay. Yes. It's a yes. great way to get good people. To yes. Solve that two body so, problem. Yeah. So we so we did a a a search uh, together, and uh, you know the options that we you know that, that we had. I mean, you know, we were we were we were lucky to have to have options at all. But you know, they were they they ended up being four big state universities. It was Michigan, Maryland, Illinois, or Texas, and. So we looked at all of them, and, and to tell you the truth, I never would have imagined living in Texas. That yeah. was just not on my not on my radar at all. But yeah. uh, we like Texas the most. Uh, you know, we like we like Austin as a Austin's city. Austin's a nice town. We like we you know we like the uh, computer science department here. Uh, you know, we, they didn't you know have much in quantum computing, but they wanted to build something. And they had a very strong group in theoretical computer science. Also, and then you know, I should say, my wife Donna is also a theoretical computer scientist. Oh, okay. That's yeah, you know, and they were very strong in the kind of stuff that she does. And so, you know, this this system ended up uh, being what we chose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they uh, they and they did make you a director right away of this quantum information center, which I assume is an interaction with resources. I guess. I mean, that was. What uh, I was yeah. I mean, we can. You know, I. You know, you're 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 reminding me that I'll, I'll need to get more resources. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, but, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you'll need. And yeah. Now, once the universities give you resources when they think you may leave, and that's what I've always found. So maybe they think you'll go to OpenAI and they'll give you more resources. Mm -hmm. In any case, in the rest is history. And I notice among your prizes, 
their groundbreaking contributions to quantum computing. And, um, and, uh, and those groundbreaking contributions, probably the reasons we first met with the Waterman Prize to come full circle. And, um, and which I see behind you, because I, I have mine up in my oh. wall. And I see, oh, right. I yeah, see yeah, it right yeah, back right. there. Mine yes. looks very similar. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we both got them. Go. Yes. And and um, okay, so let's start with quantum computing. Mm-hmm. And sure. and you know, there's so many places one could go, but why don't we talk about? I I wanted to I want to get to shore at some point, but why don't we talk mm-hmm. about what it is and what it isn't? Because you're absolutely right. I look, I'm I'm guilty of 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 t- when people ask me quantum computing of saying, well, you know, uh. An electron could be doing many things at the same time, so you could do parallel ca- calculations, and instead of one calculation, it's a simple way of saying what happens. Yeah. And 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 you you point out rightly that that's that's not it. But why don't you talk about what quantum computing is and what it isn't? And I may interrupt you with questions in the sure, interim. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, you can see why people fall for that because the the actual reality of what it is is, I think, is weirder than any science fiction writer would have had the imagination to invent. That's what's great about science. It's It's usually weird. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the the way that I think of quantum mechanics is that it's a generalization of the rules of probability, right? So, uh, uh, you know, like, like you might think that, you know, it's just an axiom of math. That, you know that it's not even physics to say look if you want to know the probability that that something happens like that a particle reaches a certain point then the way to get that is you add up the probabilities for all of the different ways that the particle could have gone to reach that point and you see what's the total right and then quantum mechanics comes along and says no, uh, that's not true right there's a you know uh, actually uh, uh, the way that nature calculates probabilities you know at the fundamental level uh, looks very different from that okay and it involves well, not that different. different it's just a complex number instead of a real one well yeah that's right that's right that's right but uh, you know you know the, well, there, there, there's one change yeah and everything uh, you know everything else is the downstream consequences of that one change to the rules of probability okay and and the change is that now we have to deal with these numbers called amplitudes uh, which which are complex numbers, um, although although actually you know mo- most of the stuff we care about in quantum information you would already see just with positive and negative real numbers. Yeah, right? you could already you know? see. So, but yeah, the, I'm going to interrupt. But the the, 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 you know, the important point is that they they have signs, right? They they have not just a magnitude, but they you know, uh, they have a they have a sign. Well, let me right? let me they step back to, for. For the people, yeah, yeah. I don't anyone will have gotten this far if they don't know, haven't ever heard of a complex number, but just for people mm-hmm. who know, yeah, they're, they're numbers that are more complex it's the, the, because they involve the square roots of, min- of negative numbers. Mm-hmm. But effectively, it allows you a much more, a much more um, rich way of adding up things. Instead of just plus and minus one, you have all these other options for adding things away away mm-hmm. and and that's what makes it richer so i just wanted to step back so people yeah yeah out. sure sure um so uh um you know and 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 uh you know uh, complex numbers were you know discovered by you know mathematicians in the 1500s right and i think it would have blown their minds at the time if you told them that, that nature actually uses these things yeah, that, you know it's ama- it still at, amazes at the me. deepest mm-hmm. level that they're uh, that they're not just the human invention right yeah but I mean, uh, all of science requires them it's amazing yeah yeah, yeah that's right I that's right that. 
but uh, um, so uh, so so basically, you know, the 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 key. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, we touched on this before, but you know, the 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 key thing that quantum mechanics says is that you know, if I want to know how likely something is to happen, like you know, a particle uh, is to hit hit us to be observed at a certain spot on a screen, then number one, I have to add up amplitudes for all of the different paths that it could have taken to reach that place. And then number two, I take the total amplitude and then I take the square of its absolute value. And that tells me the probability. Okay, but now the big implication of this is let's say that the particle could reach a place one way with a positive amplitude and another way with a negative amplitude. Okay, then those two contributions can cancel each other out so that the total amplitude is zero. And that then means that the particle will never be seen there at all. Okay. Whereas if I closed, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this, you know, I, 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 not for your benefit, but you know, for yeah, okay. people no. who haven't, haven't heard this before, yeah. you know, if I, if I, if I close off uh, 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 one of the paths that the particle could take, now I only have a positive contribution or only a negative one. And now, you know, the particle can be seen there. Right. Uh, so by decreasing the number of paths that a particle could take, I can increase the chance that it ends up somewhere, right? This is the part that has, you know, you know, no analog in, in our, the, our the basis experience. of the famous double slit experiment. Exactly, exactly. And now, you know, what, what's, you know, the, you know, the, you could say like the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, craziest part of all is that now if I just watch the particle as it's going, to you know, just see which path it's going. Then, then you know, I don't get this interference anymore, right? Then, 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 then the different options just add up in you know, uh, 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 just the same as they would in classical problems. Well, you just got rid of it's some only, of those ne negative paths. That's what you're saying. And exactly. Right. right. Them, it's only it's only when I be there. right. It's only when I leave the particle isolated from the whole rest of the universe that I see this. The, you know. Uh, the, the, this summing of amplitudes that leads to this interference. Okay, so so interference is something that particles somehow like to do in private. You know, they don't they don't <laughs> like to be seen while they're doing it, right? Uh, okay, so now what's a quantum computer? Well, uh, you know, to to say that, you know, we have to to say, uh, uh, you know, the you know the 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 basic building block of it is just going to be the quantum version of a bit, what we call a qubit, right? And what's a quantum uh, what's a qubit? It's just uh, some bit that has an amplitude for being zero and an amplitude for being one. Okay, so uh, it can be in, as we say, in a superposition of the zero state and the one state. Okay, so, uh, you know, mathematically, we could say it's a unit vector of complex numbers, right? It's two complex numbers, you know, amplitude of zero, amplitude of one. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, but now, uh, if I have let's say two qubits, right? Then I can't just write down amplitude separately for the first qubit and for the second qubit, right? I have to, because, because measuring one qubit might tell me something about the other qubit, right? And so there are four possibilities for two bits, zero, 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 one, one, zero, and one, one. Right. And, you know, we've known for a century now that, you know, that quantum mechanics forces us to write down an amplitude for each of those four. Right. But now it gets worse because if I have three qubits now, you know, there are eight 
configurations of three bits, you know, from zero, zero, zero up to one, one, one. And so now I need eight amplitudes. You know, if I have a hundred qubits, now I need two to the 100 power amplitudes, right? A thousand, two to the 1000 power amplitudes. And now already we have more amplitudes just to describe our thousand, you know, little particles than there are uh, atoms in the observable universe, right? And so, you know, you know and, and this has been a core part of quantum mechanics, you know, since Schrodinger, you know, wrote, wrote down his equation in 1926. Right, he was very explicit about this. Like, you know, if you if you read his paper, uh, um, but uh, you know, in some sense, it is only with quantum computing that you know the full staggeringness you know of this is really brought to bear, and that we're really trying to exploit it to do something. Right. So, so, so quantum mechanics is sort of has been telling us that you know just to keep track of the state of a thousand measly particles you know nature off to the side somewhere has to maintain some scratch paper you know with more parameters than you could write down in you know in the entire you know visible universe yeah and every time something happens to those particles it has to cross off all of those parameters and replace them with new parameters right yeah. so you know that's a a ridiculous amount of work for nature to be going to, you know, from a computational standpoint, right? Just to just mm -hmm. to, to keep track of what a thousand particles are doing. And, you know, and chemists and physicists have, in a sense, they've known this for a long time. You know, they've known it mostly as a practical problem. As right? a practical problem, if they want to yeah. try and understand even a small molecule, you, mm -hmm. you have to calculate so many things to try yeah. and understand how quantum mechanically how a molecule behaves, much less a much less a, a nucleotide or a, or, a, or, or a DNA or, or a protein. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, so they've known that there's this exponential explosion in the number of parameters you have to keep track of. This is why, you know, very powerful, you know, supercomputers, including, you know, one we have here in Austin called Stampede, you know, are often used for just trying to solve the Schrodinger equation, trying to, you know, simulate uh, uh, complicated quantum systems. And you know, people have gotten very good at inventing approximation methods and uh, shortcuts. You know that, that 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 sometimes let you manage it, but you know you you know, but 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 sometimes not. And so you know, it was not until you know the early '80s, I would say, that a few physicists, you know, most famously Richard Feynman, Richard, I was gonna, and, 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 and 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 then uh, David Deutsch, yeah. you know, started saying, well, if nature is giving us this you know, computational lemon, then why don't we make lemonade, right? Yeah, yeah, and Feynman basically we... said maybe he could help him understand quantum mechanics, which is always- Yeah, nice. exactly, you know, so why don't we build a computer that itself, you know, would be made out of qubits that would exploit, uh, you know, the, this exponentiality of amplitudes. And well, you know, supposing you built that quantum computer, what would it be good for? Well, Feynman really only had one answer uh, 40 years ago, which is it would be good for simulating quantum mechanics. Yeah, I mean, and you just know, and, let's step. I yeah, mean, that was what excited yeah. him. And let's step back. What he, what he said is, yeah. look, I can't calculate. I can calculate. I know how to calculate the answer to this problem, but I can't physically do it. But if we use if, if the calculator itself is quantum mechanical, it can do it in a way I can't do and get an answer. And yeah, for Feynman, that was. And he was way ahead of his time, of course, but yeah. as always, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um, or often, not always. Um, uh, and 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 uh, yeah, and he said, yeah, let's make maybe we can make quantum computers so we can solve quantum mechanics problems that I can't solve.
And then yeah. maybe I'll better understand quantum mechanics. I'll mm -hmm. understand the aspects of quantum mechanics from interference and other things. I wrote yeah. a biography yeah. of Feynman. Now, so that right. Now, now, it's important to say a quantum computer wouldn't be able to do anything that's literally uncomputable with a classical yeah. computer. Because if you had enough time, then with your classical computer, you could always just write down the yeah. entire list of amplitudes explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know that could be exponentially slow. I think that simulating quantum mechanics is still today, 40 years later, you know, after everything that's happened, uh, it's still the most important economic application of quantum computers. Yeah, let's stop. Have. Let's stop there, everyone, because it's a fascinating thing to say that in the end, and I agree, and it's something I think that mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. Pressel and I talked about but, because it's right. not what but, you get in the media. The media. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're absolutely right. Right, but you know that was not what put quantum computing on most of the world's radar. I. It was something. And, what, what what put it well what, what what originally put it on you know most of the world's radar including the computer science community you know yeah. and the the math community was you know a sequence of discoveries in the 1990s uh that that culminated you know in showing us that that a quantum computer can sometimes get enormous speed ups over you know anything we know how to do with a classical computer even for solving problems that have nothing to do with quantum, quantum mechanics. mechanics, you know, purely, purely classical problems. Yeah. Okay? In principle, the, you know, the, 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 the famous example here is finding the prime factors of enormous numbers, which, you know, for, for better or worse, is a problem that, that much of the security that protects the modern internet uh, is based on, you know, well, let's, fa let's face it. My, I mean, that I'm, problem is hard. I watch but, this from an outsider. I watch it explode. Uh, after that yeah and yeah and, of course and it's kind of, of fascinating course. it's the same but it's interesting the reason that physics that particle physics and mm -hmm. uh, you know exploded and, and it was because they could build atomic bombs and it was and the defense of the nation seemed to be okay we'll throw as much money as, as this as you we as we as you want but there maybe there's other things you want to do but we're interested in it for this reason and it was amazing to see i think the first i could be wrong but from an outside it looked like the first group to their funding was defense for the same reason that if you mm. could factor prime large prime numbers, you would be able to crack the large, large world financial. Numbers, yeah. Uh -huh. and, and therefore, yeah, we're going to yeah. throw as much money as possible at this field. And you can worry about your other physics questions, but right. we're interested well, in that. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, that that was certainly the discovery that made, you know, the military and intelligence communities interested in this. Right. And money. You know, the, the, but, money. but 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 interestingly and unlike with, you know, the atomic bomb, I guess, you know, they are not the main ones driving it now. No, right? not now. But that but got, that's got right. the money that's right. involved. That's right. And then, that's right. And, 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 yeah, that's right. That's right. Now. Now, you know, the main ones driving it are our private companies, you know, who are hoping that it's going to be a massive accelerant for AI and machine learning and yeah, finance. Exactly. It moved on those things just as part and, of the and, 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 and those claims are, 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 are often very iffy ones. You know, yeah, we'll can, get there. We they're can, very we can, iffy. We can, you know, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can get into that. But what I wanted to say was that, uh, you know, uh, um, um, you know, the, like, you know, the, the, the way that almost every popular article will explain quantum computing, you know, still to this day 
is just by saying, well, you know, a classical computer with classical bits can only try the possible solutions one by one, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there's an astronomical number, then that could take longer than the age of the universe. Whereas a quantum computer can just try all of them in parallel in superposition, you know, and that's the source of its speed, right? But you know that that kind of sounds too good to be true, right? Like, wait a minute, I just get this magic machine that lets mm -hmm. me, you know, try everything in parallel, right? And 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 it turns out that yeah, uh, 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 that is too good to be true, right? And that was one of one of the earliest things that people had to understand is that the only hope of getting any advantage at all from a quantum computer is to exploit the way that these amplitudes being complex numbers are different from probabilities, right? And, and, and specifically it's to exploit this effect of interference. Okay, so basically the, you know, the, I, think, I think the right way to think about it is that with every algorithm for a quantum computer, we are trying to choreograph a pattern of interference. Right. And we're trying to make it so that for each wrong answer, each one that we don't want to see, some of the contributions to its amplitude are positive, some are negative, or, you know, at any rate, they mostly cancel each other out. You yeah. know, they're pointing every which way. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas for the right answer, the one we do want to see, we want all the contributions to its amplitude to be mostly pointing the same direction. Okay. And so that they all reinforce each other. Right. And if you can arrange that, then when you make a measurement, quantum mechanics tells you you're going to see the right answer with a high probability. Right. You know, it's of a, course, you know, high probability is all you need. If you don't get it, you can always try again until you, you know, until you get it. Right. Because, but, um, because I, I yeah. think, I mean, it, it's a beautiful explanation, but it also emphasizes something else that I know I've learned hmm. from your descriptions, I think, hmm. that what people don't realize is that you end that, you know, there may be all these qubits, but you measure something in the end. And so it's, you, you get, yes. you get a number out at the end. And, and so that's right. That's where right. You get all there, these so, parallel calculations. So, so in, you could say in, in, in some sense, this exponential amount of information was there, quote unquote, you yeah. know, what I call this giant scratch paper, you know, with mm -hmm. all of these, these parameters, but we never directly see them. Right. And you could ask if we never see them, how do we know that they were ever there in the first place? Right. Well, we, you know, we know that we need them to calculate the probabilities of the different things that we do see. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we look, then all we see is, you know, if, if I have N qubits and I mm -hmm. measure them, then all I see at the very end is n classical bits, yeah. and the whole game is to choreograph the interference pattern so that those classical bits are the ones that I want, the ones that solve my problem. Right yeah. now, the hard part is, you know, I have to choreograph this whole interference pattern that magically concentrates amplitude on the right answer, even though I don't know myself in advance which answer is the right one. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I knew that, what would be the point, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and I have to do it all faster than a classical computer could do the same thing or else again, you know, why didn't I just do it with a classical computer, right? So, you know, nature gives you this really bizarre hammer, right? And it's not obvious whether there are any interesting nails that that hammer can hit. Yeah. you know, other than, you know, maybe simulating quantum mechanics itself, right? And that's why, you know, it was really a non-trivial discovery, you know, in the 90s, that there are classical problems where we can figure out how to, you know, 
design this 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 uh, this interference pattern you know shape it in the right way like that that took more than a decade after Feynman for yeah sure to that's when that. people it got excited not now you have given yeah. and I've read your I think probably the first time I really understood I must admit the real time yeah first time I really understood Shor's algorithm I'm was mm -hmm. reading you, your explanation of it um yeah. I'll, I'll be um I'll be open and say that I don't know whether so the, 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 the problem is easily framed. Once again, mm -hmm. large, you know, you're, it's, it's very, it takes longer than the age of the universe to take a very large number and find the prime factors of that very large well, number. Well, it, it might. No one, well, no, I mean, no, 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 might. no one has proven that, right? Yeah, okay, you know, that's and, right. Uh, so I've far- I've even talked to mathematicians who, who, who strongly believe that there is a fast classical way to do it. But, you know, but 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 the reality is no one knows. Well, you know, what's interesting? Yeah, yeah. I, I will tell you this as a physicist, maybe something, yeah. an analogy that you haven't ex heard before. Hmm. Um, I'm amazed that you don't take things seriously until they've been measured. Hmm. And so, um, uh, and I, I've written a lot of papers about stuff that I could have written before, but I never really thought about it until some experiment came along and that, oh, yep. you know, that. And the interesting thing is, when we get to quantum supremacy, that it was only after sort of this claim of quantum supremacy, it seemed to me, that people started to realize, oh, I've got a classical algorithm that's actually much faster because I'll take it seriously. And you're right. Yes, it could, no, it could... th th this sort of thing has happened. I mean, there have even been interesting new classical algorithms that were only discovered because people were first thinking about quantum algorithms. Absolutely. Right? I think and it's interesting. I think it's fascinating how that happens. Yeah, but in any yeah, case, it's, it's set back. Mm -hmm. It, it, it mm -hmm. may be that it takes long. It, Apparently, if you don't think yeah. hard enough, it takes longer in the age of the universe to do to 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 empirically find the prime factors because you'd have to try every prime factor in a big number. Mm -hmm. it just I mean, we long. know methods that are somewhat better than that, but they're still ex you know some yeah. kind of exponential. Yeah. And the then, best methods, like the ones that the NSA is presumably using to you know uh, 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 try to you know break uh, uh, you know uh, uh, cryptographic keys. Uh, they take an amount of time that grows exponentially with the cube root of the number of digits. Cube root. Okay, there we go. So it's exponential cube anyway. root. And yep. and so what 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 was a surprise was that that uh, there was a quantum algorithm that might allow you to 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 uh, um, find the prime factors of a large yes. number that was only polynomial in in the number of uh, the size yes. of the number. Yes. Well, in in 1994, Peter Shor proved a theorem, and the theorem says. If you build a quantum computer, and you know if it works, like the you know the theory says, yeah. uh, then it can, in fact, factor a number that's n digits long using a number of elementary operations that only grows like roughly like n squared. Like n okay. squared. So that so that so so that is exponentially faster okay. than the best. Now we've taken a long time already, and we've got a lot left to do. So I don't know if I I'm going to ask you, and you may not. I mean. I've read your argument. It would take 15, 10 or 15 yeah. minutes. Is well, there a I mean, similar? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, re I mean, really, it's Shor's argument. I'm just uh, you okay. Know, okay, Shor's argument, but is there a simple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a simple kind of one minute way of, exp of of saying what the trick is or not? If there isn't, it's okay. I mean, I can try. Uh, okay. So, 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 so the key is, you know, it's uh, the, the, there's 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 a half of Shor's algorithm that's got nothing to do with quantum mechanics. Okay, where you know it's just about uh, number theory, really. Okay, yeah. where you're taking the problem of factoring and you're reducing it to a superficially different problem. Okay, 
And the different pro looking problem that you reduce factoring to is called period finding. Okay, so, so consider the problem where I have this enormous sequence of numbers, right? It could be like a sequence of, you know, a, a, a Google numbers, right? You know, whatever, whatever right? But, uh, and, and, this, and, and I'm, you're told that the sequence repeats itself with a certain period, right? So it's, a, it's secretly a periodic function. Okay, you can compute any desired entry of the sequence, right? Mm -hmm. You have an algorithm that, mm -hmm. you know, given, you know, you, you ask for, you know, entry number J, it, you know, it, it tells you what that is uh, pretty quickly. But now your task is to discover what is the period, right? Okay. And, and so now, you know, we, uh, uh, so, so what, what, what the, the first thing that Shore showed was that if you can solve that problem, then you can also factor. Right. And the reason, you know, it, it's a few lines of algebra, basically. Uh -huh. Right. It's but, uh, you know, not 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 having a board. I probably won't go through it. Right? Yeah, okay. So uh, but, you know, it, it's you know, the, the point is, you know, a lot of interesting problems in number theory sort of can can be boiled down to sort of finding this hidden periodic structure you know, in a, in a periodic okay. function. Okay. There's, there's something called, you know, if I, if I have some composite number, there's something called the multiplicative group, you mm -hmm. know, mo modulo that composite number, all the numbers mm -hmm. that are relatively prime to it. And basically what I'm trying to do is discover how many elements are in that group. And if I figure th that out, then that also reveals to me, what are the factors? Okay. okay. So That's I'm trying to figure out the order of this group you know, uh, and to do that, I have to find the hidden period of this periodic function. Okay, so now, uh, you know, how can we do that? Well, if I just had a classical computer, I could imagine that I just pick a bunch of random elements in the sequence, mm -hmm. and I hope that eventually I get lucky and I find two elements that are the same, mm -hmm. right? And if I find two that are the same, then I know that whatever was the period of the sequence, it divides the difference between, yeah. you know, okay. the, right, the, 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 uh, but uh, that would take, again, an astronomical amount of time, right? So now, so, 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 so here's where the quantum computing was going to come in, okay? So now what, what Shor says to do, you know, and he was directly building on, er, you know, earlier work by, uh, uh, Bernstein and Vazirani, you know, Vazirani was my advisor at Berkeley, you know, and, and then, and then Dan Simon, who did, you know, very closely related things, but they didn't solve a problem that was, you know, as high profile as factor, yeah, exactly. right? And then, and then, you know, uh, 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 you know, but, but now, now, now is going to come, you know, the, 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 uh, the step where we, uh, uh, where, where we need to exploit quantum interference. So we, uh, we, we create an equal superposition over all of the possible you know, you know, elements in the sequence, right? We, we calculate all of them in superposition, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, so now, so far, we it doesn't look like we've made that much progress because if I just took this superposition over all the elements of the sequence and I just measured it right now, you know, if I was impatient, yeah. all I'm going to get out will be a random element of the sequence, yeah. right? And I didn't need a quantum computer for that, right? Yeah. Okay, so now somehow I have to exploit interference, right? And so what, what I do is, uh, um, you know, I, I, I do a sequence of unitary operations on my qubits that has the effect of taking this giant vector of amplitudes, you know, you know that, that encodes my my periodic function and replacing it by its Fourier transform, 
Mm -hmm. Okay. So now, you know, the Fourier transform, as you know, you know, but, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, it is, uh, you know, one of the most basic operations in, you know, linear algebra and, you know, and really in, 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 you know, has been central to quantum mechanics since, you know, all of wrote down the, you know, the uncertainty principle, right? Uh -huh. But it is a, uh, it's a linear transformation that sort of, you know, it's a change of basis that sort of moves you from, you know, looking at, you know, an engineer might say moves you from the time domain to the frequency domain, right? So it moves you from looking at your sequence just element by element to looking at it as a sum of periodic contributions, you know, each of which has a different period. Okay. And so, so what you do is you, you know, you do this, this short sequence of unitary operations, each of which acts on only one or two qubits at a time, but it has the effect of taking this amplitude vector, uh, replacing it by its Fourier transform. Okay. And now the Fourier transform was designed from the beginning to reveal periodicity information. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so now you get like these, these giant, you get a new quantum superposition, but that has giant spikes at numbers that, you know, are, you know, they are not necessarily, you know, uh, like the period themselves, but they're like, they're like close to integer multiples of inverses of the period, right? And so, so, so now you measure, and now you get numbers that that are, uh, um, you know, that, that that you know, if I just see a few of them, then just using my classical computer, I can put them together and reconstruct what the period of the sequence was. Okay, and and a good way to think about what's going on here is that like for every possible number that I could have measured, right? I, I you know, it has an amplitude that's a sum of many, many contributions, right? But only for the ones that are multiples of the inverse period or, or very close to them is, are, are all of the contributions to their amplitude adding up constructively? Are they reinforcing, right? Mm -hmm. For the wrong numbers, you know, I, I have uh, 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 the contributions are just pointing every which way in the complex plane, and they're just canceling each other out. So that's so that's that's that would be I don't know if that was like three minutes or but you know that would be five, but it was, and, and I think people get the idea. But, yeah, that would be that, that. That would be my summary of Shor's algorithm. I mean, it's a great, when I it's teach in when I teach an under my, my, my undergraduate course in quantum information, you know, you can just do this in full details in about three lectures. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah. Um, but but it demonstrates. I mean, but now I want to get. I'm and some people I'm sure got lost during it, but 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 mm -hmm. may not. Well, maybe no one did. But I but I suspect some did. But I want it. But it's important to talk about it because now. It, when one of the things I, I think which is clear, you've already made clear, but people don't recognize is the world, I would say now, and this is something that took me a while to realize, uh, and, and you helped me, um, but over the years, um, it's when people talk about what quantum computers are going to be used for, mm -hmm. I would argue that that's as like, the, the cracking financial codes or uh, is, is going to be the last is 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 not realistic in the near term. I'm not sure whether it's ever realistic in the long term, and it's probably um, not going to be is... the number one one activity. I mean, okay, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. First of all, I think it is realistic in the long term. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, it yeah, it's well, going to I mean, require I mean, if you have. It's, it's basically. Uh, I, I think once you okay, so we haven't talked about the the practical problem of how do you the practical build problem is how do you keep n qubits right? going 
I mean, that's right. That's right. How do number, you... You're going to need a large number of cubic. So that's what I exactly, want to get to next. Exactly. So, so, so the, the main problem is that you need what we call error corrected qubits or fault tolerant qubits. Ones that, you know, so, 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 you know, a, 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 you know, like I said before, quantum states are very fragile, right? They're, you know, like a, a being in superposition is something that particles only want to do in private, you know, when, when exactly. No and that's really right? important. And, for, I want to emphasize and, that because people don't get it when they see that hmm. the difference between quantum mechanics and classical mechanics is or the ex exploitation of quantum mechanics at a macroscopic level requires something that's very unnatural for particles mm -hmm. or anything. The reason we're not quantum mechanical or don't behave quantum, we are at some fundamental level, but we don't behave that way, is that we're a mix mash of particles interacting with the all thing, with each other in my body and all the yes. photons from the lights that are, yes. and it's all and washing out all of the differences that make yep. quantum mechanics so special. And that's why we don't ever see it. And so mm -hmm. what you've got to do, if you have a bunch of these, if you have one a large, if you want to have a large number of bits, I mean, you know, my, my phone has a large number of bits in it, um, gigabits and, you know, nice. and, and, but, but if I'm going to have a large number, um, then I got to make sure that somehow that large number remains quantum mechanical and that, yes. and if it did, exactly. then I would be used to it. And so most of the time it does Exactly. No, you, you could say that that problem is so staggeringly difficult. You know, how do you keep your qubits like, you know, almost perfectly isolated from everything else in the universe, but then mm -hmm. also have them interact with each other, you know, in this yeah. precisely choreographed way, right? And, you know, like something has to come in and tell them what to do, right? Yeah. It's so hard that there were distinguished physicists and computer scientists in the 90s who said this is fundamentally impossible. Right. This is like building a perpetual motion machine or a Maxwell's demon or something like that. Right. Like there, you know, like maybe this works with a, you know, a few qubits, but this can never scale to a large number of qubits. Right. And and I think, you know, a, um, 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 a priori, like, OK, that was a plausible position. Right. Sometimes yeah. you can, you know, write something down formally that that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that, that abstracts away some key feature of the real world that would actually make it impossible. But, you know, then there was a key further discovery in the 90s that convinced almost all of us that this is, quote unquote, merely a staggeringly hard engineering problem, right? Yeah. Not requiring any new physics, okay? okay? And that was this discovery of quantum error correction, quantum fault tolerance. Okay, uh, uh, Peter Shore was again, you know, very involved in that discovery, uh, and, and then a, a bunch of other people were as well. Okay, and uh, it culminated, and, and basically what it said is that there are, you know, a, a, in the classical world, right, when, when we have noise in a communication channel, right, we deal with it using error correcting codes, right, you know, and this goes back to Claude Shannon and, and you know, and mm -hmm. Hamming and, and many others, right, but for example, instead of sending either a zero or a one, I might send zero, 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 or one, 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 right, and then if any one of the three bits flips, then I can still recover the message by just taking the majority of the three, right. And, and you know, uh, and you know, and, exactly, and you could test to see whether it was, yeah, I mean, right, and now, and now that, that, that doesn't immediately work for qubits, uh, because, you know, one reason is that you can't clone, you know, a, a, a quantum state, right? If you don't know what it is, there's no, you know, there's no way to make a copy of a, of a, of a qubit. Uh, and, and also, you know, errors in, in, in qubits could be continuous, 
right? It doesn't just have to be a discrete bit flipping. It could be any little change to these amplitudes. And so, so some people said, well, this seems like an analog computer, right? And analog computers never, you know, you know, they didn't win in the end, right? Mm -hmm. And the main reason was, was error, was, you know, you know, that, that uh, uh, you know, you, you would just have errors that would build up and kill you. I mean, that's why digital computing won. Okay, but, uh, but the key discovery of quantum error correction is that there are these very clever quantum generalizations of error correcting codes, right? The, you know, the first one discovered was called the Shure code, right? It, it encodes a single qubit, a single logical qubit into nine physical qubits, okay? Uh, you know, and uh, it turns out, you know, uh, nine is not the minimum. You can also do it with five. Okay. But, you know, uh, classically you needed three, right? Quantumly uh, you need five. Okay. And, and what these quantum error correcting codes do is that they, they, um, um, the, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they allow you to make a measurement that just, that, that, that only tells you like, did an error happen? And if so, what do I have to do to fix it? And it doesn't tell you anything else about the qubit, but you don't want to know more. You don't want to destroy that would, the, 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 the would destroy the state. So you're like, you know, you, you know, you know that, that 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 joke where like someone calls 911 and, and says, Oh my God, you know, this person was, you know, was 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 shot and you know, you know, and, and, and was killed. And then they, and they said, Well, okay, and, and the dispatcher says, Okay, but did you check to make sure that they're dead? And then they 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 they, they and then you hear a gunshot and they say, yeah. Okay, all right, now all right, now I'm now I'm sure. Now, sure. What now? So you know, quantum error correcting codes are kind of like that. It's like you, you know, it's, it's like you know, if there was some tiny rotation in the amplitude like well you know you could say you know was that an error or was that not an error well the way you decide is by making a measurement right yeah. and you know the re result of the measurement might be that it just snaps back to where yeah. it was before and then yeah. okay i guess there wasn't an error yeah. or the result of the measurement might be that it flips all the way and then okay well i guess there i guess there was an error but now the error was discrete because yeah. I measured and I made it discrete, yeah. right? And now I know exactly where it was and I know what I have to do to fix it. Okay, so so this, this whole line of work culminated with something called the fault tolerance theorem or the threshold theorem, uh, which said that uh, if you want to build a reliable quantum computer, uh, you don't have to get you know, the rate of noise, you know, the rate of interaction between the qubits and the external world all the way down to zero you merely need to make it very, very, very small, okay? But, you know, there is some, you know, non-zero rate of noise, which is low enough that you can then use error-correcting codes to push the effective error rate all the, you know, as, as close to zero as you would like. Okay, so, so there is a, a threshold effect. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the critical mass for a nuclear yeah. weapon, right? If you're halfway there, you don't get half, as big an explosion, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like you have to you have to be able to correct the errors faster than you are introducing new errors. Yeah, you know, yeah. by, by 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 trying to correct them. Okay, but there's some finite rate of error where where where, where you know you where, where this becomes a net win, and you know you could think of the engineering goal of you know in quantum computing for you know ever since then you know really for the past twenty five years has just been trying to get better and better control over quantum systems until ultimately you would pass this threshold, 
of fault tolerance. And at that point, once you have fault tolerant qubits, then it really is just an engineering problem, right? Like, you know, how many, you know, you could have in principle as many qubits as you want and they'll stay alive for as many operations as you want to do with uh, 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 on yeah which is you know, which is the which is the, the the holy grail and right and now that's right that's right and 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 it is you know uh, you know if 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 you look at the the numbers you know it's um you know it it does it doesn't even look like in a, a totally unattainable grail i mean when i yeah. entered this field you know in like the late 90s you know, it would have been spectacular if you could do, you know, a two qubit gate. So just, you know, an interaction between two qubits to, with like 50% accuracy, right? Or, or some number like that. Okay. And then that 50% became 90%, you know, came 95, you know, with, with Google's quantum supremacy experiment that it announced uh, uh, four years ago, uh, you know, they had like 53 qubits and they could, get any two neighboring ones to talk to each other with 99.5% accuracy, right? Or some uh, short time. The, yeah, that's right. Within the last year, um, you know, groups like, like IBM, uh, Quantinuum in Colorado are talking about 99.8%, pushing 99.9% .9 accuracy, okay? Now, our best estimate from fault tolerance is that if you could get this to 99.99% accuracy, mm -hmm. then, then quantum error correction should start to work, should start to be practical. Okay. So, so, you know, if you just plot it on a graph, it looks like, you know, we're now only about one order of magnitude away. Okay? Exactly. And, and, and then, I, I, I should look, look, so it's, an, yeah. it's a, it is a, it, it is nevertheless a, an experiment. It's, it's a, it's an, well, as you mentioned with the, lots of money and lots of time, people, there's improvements, yeah. but it's experimentally at the limit of what we can do. It is. Oh yeah. I mean, these, these, are, I, these are amazing experiments, but you know, I, I mean, a priori, you might've worried that this would have to go on forever. Yeah, right? no, no. In fact, fault I would say that says, no, it, I was you know, one of the naysayers before fault uh, tolerance. I was saying, there's no hmm. way you're going to be able to get a quantum <laughs> system to yeah. survive long enough to do what you want it to do. Yeah. And then, yeah, okay, well yeah. now it's still a challenge to get it to survive long enough for enough qubits. Uh -huh. But, but I guess my point is, right. you know, so if you have, if you have, you know, 80 qubits, then maybe you can begin to, to do something, you know, realistic when it comes to the issues of cryptography. Mm -hmm. But what's no, needed, no, no, no. You're gonna need. You're gonna need a lot more than eighty. Yeah. Okay. No. Maybe a lot no, more. So basically, no. People have asked, have 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 gamed this out in a lot of detail at this point. So I mean, if you wanna, if you want something that's useful for breaking cryptographic codes, then you're going to need a few thousand logical qubits. A, a, a few okay? thousand. Okay. And then, and then with error correction, that's gonna translate into millions of physical qubits. Okay. okay so th this is my point. I guess what I was yeah. trying to say. Yeah. as a physicist rather than a mathematician is you're yeah. right i don't think there's any logical barrier but my that's point, right my, uh, my point before we leave this area yes. or at least sure. talk against the conventional wisdom hmm. is that with five qubits you can do really interesting quantum mechanical problems of mm -hmm. that you know molecules mm -hmm. and that's feasible what i wanted to say is if you're going to get to this realm which one day we may get to of 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 doing things that are realistic mm -hmm. crypto mm -hmm. cryptographically, well, the already the world financial system will have adjusted that you could be. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a that's a, that's a different discussion. Yeah, but I guess yes, that, all I was saying is been, for those yeah. who think the world financial system is yeah. suddenly going to be broken, 
the the time right. scale of quantum computing right. improvements right. with falter right. air correction is such that it's it it's not going to may there be other problems it'll help mm -hmm. with but 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 the world financial system will have long go past that by in some other way. Yeah. So no. So 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 I did want to talk about these engineering issues, but I I, I agree with you that you know breaking public key cryptography has never been the sort of uh, you know. Uh, you know, well, well, you know, it, it's first of all, it's far from obvious that the, it's a positive for humanity if, if you can do yeah. that. Right? Yeah. It's a, you know, it, it, it all depends on who has the capability and who else knows about it. Okay, but second of all, you know, we already know cryptographic codes that seem to resist attack even with yeah. quantum computers. Okay, yeah. now it's going to be a massive effort to get everyone to migrate to those new cryptographic codes. And, you know, and the crypto, the, the crypto community for the last decade has been, you know, pushing that. And, you know, they've actually, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, just concluded a competition to, you know, come up with the standards for post-quantum crypto systems. You know, the winner, as many of us had expected, are these public key uh, cryptographic codes based on high dimensional lattices. Yeah, which, yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, yeah, I yeah, and 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 you know, so so these systems exist. They they do require like larger key sizes, larger message sizes than the uh, the uh, cryptographic codes that currently underpin the web. So you know, so they're a little bit annoying, but you know, they 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 can be used, and people are already thinking about how to deploy them. So you know, if we succeed at at migrating everyone to post quantum cryptography. Then you know you could say you know like like in practical terms you know Shor's algorithm could just be this this colossal you know scientifically fascinating nothing burger right you know it's yeah. you know it'll just you know we'll just all be right back where we started right and so so I think that you know the 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 biggest hope of doing you know I mean look I mean I mean for me for me personally the number one application of a quantum computer has always been just to disprove the people who said quantum computing was impossible. Okay. And by token, uh, for me as a physicist, you might say the number two application is to demonstrate that quantum mechanics works uh, yeah, at, that's at right. Now, well, yeah, we can, we can, we can, we can collapse those into you know basically the, the same thing, right? It's, it's, it's really uh, the same thing. You know, it's, it's different doing the same the, coin. Yeah. It's like it's like quantum, you know, a quantum it's like a quantum computer as the same sort of thing as you know the LHC or LIGO or uh, the James Webb Space Telescope. You know, it's a, you know, and it's, you know, it, it's you're just probing nature in an, in a new regime, and and of course you want to do that if you can. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there's then, some and, people and, like and me. Then, and then I think I think the number two thing is to give us this general purpose programmable tool for simulating quantum mechanics, yeah. which might be useful for designing new batteries or solar cells or high temperature superconductors or drugs, you know, or drugs, I mean, I mean, I mean, the truth is we don't really know. We don't know. We don't know what such a device would discover, but you know, I think there's a there's a pretty strong case that yeah, that would be that would be useful to have. Yeah, um, and we know we don't know. And, that just makes it so right, exciting. Right, and th right, and then you know, I think um, 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 neither of those things is what has mainly driven the investment over the last decade. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, the 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 you know the reason why there's you know these billions of dollars being invested in quantum computing now by Google, Microsoft, IBM, Amazon, and then like 
I think hundreds of venture backed startups, you know, yeah. at, at this point, right? It, it is, you know, what, 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 what people have mainly gotten excited about is the hope that a quantum computer will, would accelerate uh, machine learning, uh, optimization, uh, uh, financial problems, yeah. uh, uh, you know, AI problems. And, and here, you know, as a quantum algorithms person, you know, I, you know, uh, honesty compels me to report to you that, that the situation is much, much iffier. You know, uh, uh, yes, there are some quantum advantages that eventually, you know, you should be able to realize for those problems. Okay, a lot of them derive from Grover's algorithm, which I mentioned before, which is, you know, maybe the second most famous quantum algorithm after mm -hmm. Shor's. Um, Grover's algorithm can be used for sort of searching any list of n possible solutions in only about the square root of n steps. And so it has an enormously wider range of application than Shor's algorithm does. Right? Shor's algorithm is really, really specialized to mm -hmm. factoring, period finding, you know, and a few related problems in like group theory and number theory, right? Grover's algorithm is for like, you know, you can just flip through a computer science textbook and like, you know, two thirds of what's there could be Groverized in some way, right? Okay, okay. Uh, so, you know, it, you know, it could, it could be, you know, be a workhorse for all kinds of things, but the disadvantage is that the speed up is not exponential. The speed up is only quote unquote by this square root, you know, this quadratic okay. factor, right? And now that has to compete against the enormous overheads that it would take to run a fault tolerant quantum computer at all, right? So it's like, if you can take a problem of size N and solve it in, you know, you can, you know, like as theorists, we'd say we, you know, Grover solves it with scaling that only grows like the square root of N. But in practice, that's probably something like a million times the square root of N, right? And so now the point is N has to be big enough that a million times the square root of N is less than n, and yeah, you know you can solve yeah. that, but you know n n has to be pretty big, yeah, right? Yeah, pretty so, big. So, um, so that that's the main issue with all of these speed ups based on Grover, and so then uh, people say, okay, but you know there are all you know we don't need an algorithm with a provable performance guarantee. There are all of these heuristic quantum algorithms, okay? And so, so, so a lot of the excitement over the last decade has been driven by things like quantum annealing you know, uh, uh, which is like uh, the quantum adiabatic algorithm, you know, which my, you know, I, is, is uh, uh, I alluded to before, my former colleague, Ed Farhi and his, okay. his, uh, his friends uh, developed this, you know, and these are like, you know, there are these classical heuristic algorithms, uh, you know, that don't always work, you know, often don't work actually, but, but often enough, they, they, they do work. Okay, a famous example would be simulated annealing. Right, where I just start with a random solution and then I just keep flipping bits, you know, if, if it looks like it's improving things, right? And I try to get to as good of a solution as possible. And so what people have done is that they've invented quantum versions of those heuristic algorithms. And then, you know, and, and now here's what happens, okay? Like as theorists, like, you know, we don't, we don't know what the hell these things do, right? Mm -hmm. but, but we can't rule out the possibility that at least sometimes they might solve these AI or optimization problems exponentially faster than any classical algorithm, right? And so then the sort of, you know, 
uh, business people or the funding people, like that's all they need, right? Yeah. The, then they just feel like, you know, okay, so then let's just make the most optimistic assumption imaginable, right? Uh -huh. Let's just assume that these will get these exponential speed ups for all of these problems that, you know, but now, you know, you can see like, like there, there is not a case here that is, that is anywhere near like the case that, that Shor's algorithm helps you with factoring, right? And in fact, what is what is turned out again and again is that when when people have claimed to you know be able to use these heuristic algorithms to get the huge quantum speedups, uh, again and again people have been able to dequantize them. Okay, to say no, actually, if we think about it enough, we can replicate that sort of performance with a classical computer. Right. Which is what, which is sort of what happened, and I, I want to leave quantum computing in a second, which is sort yeah, of what okay, happened sure. to quantum supremacy. Quantum supremacy, mm. which the term coined by Presco, I guess, was yeah, it a, was yes. was uh, is the idea that basically a you know you've gotten to a point when quantum computers can do something, maybe yes. not something interesting, but something in a finite time mm. that a classical computer would take longer than the age of the universe. Well, there mm. was a big report, two thousand nineteen, uh, Google, yeah. you know, and so and, and then but then then IBM as you might imagine, came up and said, hold on, there's a, actually, we found out to do it in three hours instead of two minutes or something like that. And well, yeah, I, 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 I should, I, I should say something because I, I, I was heavily involved in this story. Yeah, right? I know. Okay. So, so I yeah. So, 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 you know, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, 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 you know, in, in my, my student and I in, in 2011, you know, proposed, uh, 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 you know, one of the, 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 you know, I guess, I guess the main um, um, ideas for how you would do this, these quantum supremacy experiments, right? And then, and then a year later, Prescott coined this term quantum supremacy to refer to, you know, things like what we had proposed, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, where you're not trying to uh, solve something that is useful. You're merely trying to solve something that is well-defined and that is classically hard, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it turns out that, uh, you know, if that's your goal, then you know, it looked like the, the most direct way to do that would be using what are called sampling problems, where they don't have a single right answer, right? You're just trying to output samples from some particular probability distribution, um, like over, over, let's say, 50-bit strings, mm -hmm. where you could argue that, a, you know, plausibly any classical algorithm would need a much, much larger amount of time to, to sample. Mm -hmm. You know, and so then uh, uh, Google, you know, in, in 2014 uh, uh, hired this, um, you know, uh, leader in superconducting qubits named John Martinez. And Martinez said, you know, let's do this. Let's actually, you know, try to, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't my proposal because my, you know, my, my, mine and my students called boson sampling was sort of uh, uh, best adapted to uh, optical quantum computing. And they were doing superconducting quantum computing, but they said, let's adapt boson sampling to our setup. And we said, okay, you know, you could do that. And we, we sort of adapted the theory to, to what they were building. And then in 2019, they uh, reported a result, which was that using 53 qubits, you know, they could sample from this distribution over 53-bit strings, you know, in a few minutes. And at the time, they estimated that, well, the best classical algorithm that they know would, would take 10,000 years to do the same thing. And, you know, and then that, that number got picked up by the media, right? And, and, and that was kind of unfortunate, right? Because, you know, you, you always have to ask the question, like, you know, do we really know what the best classical algorithm is? 
right? And so, you know, since then, starting with IBM, but, you know, people have gotten better and better at spoofing these experiments classically. And, and I would say that, that the situation right now is that some quantum advantage remains in these experiments. You know, if you measure it, let's say by, you know, how much money does it take to run the machine or, you know, how much electricity does it take? You know, I mean, the quantum computer needs a dilution refrigerator. Yeah. It's cooling your chip to, yeah. you know, a hundredth of a degree above absolute zero, right? That's, that's a decent amount of electricity right there. Okay, but, you know, to simulate it, you need a quite large cluster of, of classical computers, right? And, yeah. and maybe that's a hundred times more electricity or something like that, yeah. right? So I think there's some quantum advantage that remains, but it's only by two or three orders of magnitude. Um, almost certainly, you know, better quantum supremacy experiments could be done right now that would, that would reestablish a larger gap. But, you know, but, but, but now what's happened is that, you know, the big players like Google, uh, IBM, like they barely even care about quantum supremacy anymore. They just say, like, you know, let's, let's go straight for error correction. Right. You know, I, I, I would actually like to see some, you know, better quantum supremacy experiments. No. OK, well, let's yeah. let's let's see if they, what happens. Um, yeah. Look, uh, before. OK, I was going to talk about, you, you know, you, you wrote some beautiful work on. Well, I mean, uh, that I found interesting on on what it needs to to what, what how much structure is needed for quantum speedups. But I think mm -hmm. I think I want to proceed. We're going to go the three hours just so you know. And, yeah. and 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 uh, I want to spend the last hour of this uh, on the harder questions <laughs> because he spent less time on them because they're harder questions. But before we leave it in the last few minutes, all right, I there's a quote from you that I found interesting. Oh, there's lots of quotes. I have I should say I have 20 pages of notes, which I'm going to of which we'll probably go through four or five <laughs> um, in, in. But um, here's a quote from you that I, I, I don't understand. Well, maybe. All right. If quantum mechanics seems to predict that you can harness an exponential number of amplitudes for computation, then so much the worse for our present understanding of quantum mechanics. I don't understand. What well, I think I, I was no, no, no. I, I was I was stating that as a possible position that someone could take. I was oh. not myself endorsing. Oh, okay. That oh, okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Maybe I read it wrong. Because <laughs> there are yeah. people who somehow yeah. think that quantum mechanics is wrong. I don't know what. Well, I do. One of them is a good friend yeah. of Artur Tuff too. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. Uh, you know, he does believe that you know but he i mean he also you know i mean he he has a particular idea for a classical theory that would re replace quantum mechanics but you know i would say that it can't even explain the violation of the bell inequality without postulating like what 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 to my mind is like a giant cosmic conspiracy theory yeah like, i agree but yeah, he is yeah yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. has a good rack track record so i'm i'm gonna yeah, um, yeah. He, i know you're the right to like I say about Bob Dylan, he can he can he's earned the right to do whatever he wants, and so it's you know, <laughs> hard to solve most of the problems of the physics in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. um, many of them he can do whatever mm -hmm. the heck he wants, mm -hmm. and he's worth mm -hmm. listening to. There's mm -hmm. some people I would chalk off, but anyway. So we will see. Of course, that's the great thing coming yeah, back to that's right. Again. That's right. Like either way, let's find out the truth. It's like yeah, quantum you know, I, 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 like the, the the skeptics of quantum computing. I person I believe that they're probably wrong. Uh, but if they were right, then that would be even more exciting. Yeah, than it would be even more exciting. Exactly. Yeah, and and, right. uh, and coming back to five minutes, really, come, you know, his interest was seeing, learning about quantum mechanics. And, mm -hmm. and we may, that's right. I would argue, yeah. we'll get to whether it's relevant. You know, you talk about the philosophers. You, read, you wrote a whole 50-page article, which I had to plow through, where you're talking to philosophers. 
about questions that I may be of interest to philosophers, but not to physicists, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, but, all right. But but we'll t- we'll get there because we're going to be led there in the next in the next half hour. I want to talk about computational complexity, which is really your your uh, I, I don't know whether forte, but I think it's what your real from what I can tell, your real heart is an understanding, which is different than so complexity is different than compu- computability. Now, obviously, we don't have I time don't have time to do justice to this, nor could I, I think, do justice as much as I've tried to wrap my head around it. But there are a few things I think we can talk about. Mm-hmm. One, one is the one, when you talk about the difference between complexity and computability. So, um, um, computability is the field that you could say uh, uh, Alan Turing, you know, uh, and his friends started in the 1930s when they uh, uh, created computer science in the first place, right? Uh, uh, it, it said that that you know computer science is uh, one of the only fields that was born with the knowledge of its own limitations, right? <laughs> and so, so you know, in the very same uh, paper. You know, just one of the most famous papers of the 20th century, where Alan Turing introduced the Turing machine, right, Mm -hmm. which is the, you know, the mathematical model for, you know, what we would now call a programmable computer. Uh, He also proved a theorem that said that, you know, there are some well-defined problems that a Turing machine cannot solve, okay, you know, regardless of how much time or memory you might give it. Okay, and the famous example there is called the halting problem, right? And it's a problem where you are given as input a Turing machine, or in other words, a description of a computer program. You know, Mm -hmm. it could be in any programming language of your choice, and you need to decide whether that program will ever stop running or not. Okay, so you know, now, now, like at at first glance, that problem might not seem so hard, right? Like if you think about, uh, uh, you know, anyone with experience programming would say, yeah, I can just kind of stare at the program. I can see, does it have an infinite loop? Does it, you know, does it not have one? Okay, but you know, uh, uh, you you can easily invent, you know, incredibly hard examples. So, so, so for example, imagine a program that just uh, checks all of the even numbers, four and higher, okay, and tries to write each one as a sum of two prime numbers, okay, and and it halts only if it finds an even number that cannot be written as a sum of two primes, right? Then this is a, a, a program that halts if and only if it finds a counterexample to the Goldbach conjecture. Mm-hmm. You know, saying every even number four and above is a sum of two primes. That is still an unsolved problem in number theory, right? And so solving the halting problem, you know, would would automatically also solve, you know, a large fraction of the great unsolved problems in math, right? Which which can be phrased as, you know, mm-hmm. does some computer program ever stop running or not? Right. And what Turing said is that, you know, yes, there are specific programs where we can figure out whether they halt or not, but there cannot be any general method, you know, uh, at least you, you know, using computer programs themselves for solving this halting problem. And the way he did that was a, you know, a self-referential argument, you know, which is, I think, you know, a, a, a justly famous. I mean, he was inspired by, you know, Gödel's incompleteness theorem, mm-hmm. which, you know, had been proved just a few years earlier. And, you know, and, and, even before that, by by Cantor's discovery, you know, of, of the different orders of infinity. Okay, mm-hmm. but but what Turing basically said was that you know suppose 
to the contrary, that you had a program that could solve the halting problem. So it took any program and determined whether it, it halts or not. Then you could modify this, this program uh, uh, you know, to, to uh, uh, basically be one that would take its, itself as input, take its own code as input, mm -hmm. okay? And do the opposite of whatever it does, okay? So it could analyze itself and if it determines that it is going to halt, then it would run forever. And if it determines that it would run forever, then it would halt. Okay, and that's a contradiction. Yeah. And the only conclusion is that the program can't have existed in the first place. So, uh, uh, so um, um, uh, uh, a computability theory, you know, in the decades since the 1930s was developed to, you know, a very high level of sophistication. You know, people uh, discovered that, you know, there, there are other interesting examples of uncomputable problems. So for example, if I just give you an equation, you know, and I ask you, does it have a whole number solution? You know, mm -hmm. so solving a Diophantine equation that is equivalent to the halting problem, right? Oh, okay. There could be no there can be no general algorithm to solve that problem. And again, it's not even a question of time or memory, right? They're just it's a mathematical you know, proof, it's just, it, right? It, it, it's a question of finite versus infinite, right? Mm -hmm. It just you know that there is there is no way to take you know the the infinite number of possible solutions and and rule all of them out in a finite amount so, of so time. in fact let, let let's stop for a second in a sense mm -hmm. computability is the question of finite versus infinite yes complexity is a is a more is a finer distinction is that you think exactly it? exactly exactly now you know um um um, when people started building actual computers, you know, in the 50s and 60s, right, you know, they, you know, like some of the first things they wanted to do is, okay, uh, you know, there are all these problems that we know to be computable, so let's try to solve them, right? Uh, you know, some of them were like, like uh, uh, for example, there was a famous theorem of Tarski that said that uh, uh, for, you know, uh, um, you know, like, well, deciding whether equations have have whole number solutions is uncomputable. You know, if I just want to decide the truth or falsehood of sentences involving real numbers, mm -hmm. then, then, then that problem has an algorithm, okay? That is computable, right? And so they tried to do that with the mainframe computers of the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. now, now, but 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 then they, they quickly realized the problem, you know, which is that while Tarski's algorithm, you know, had given an algorithm, the amount of time needed by the algorithm could only be expressed using like a stack of exponentials. Mm -hmm. It was like two to the two to the two, right? And so, you know, you know, this 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 is not just a practical issue of like, does your program take 10 seconds or 20 seconds, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is this is a question of can you do it like within the lifetime of the universe, mm -hmm. right? And so, 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 so by, by the sixties, it had become clear to people that we needed to make a finer distinction, you know, among the problems that are computable, you know, which is, you know, an enormous number of problems that we care about, mm -hmm. but, you know, we, we actually need to know further, which problem, which of those problems have an algorithm with a reasonable scaling. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and it took, it took a while for people to sort of, you know, converge on, on sort of what, what is even the right question to ask there, right? But, you know, by the, I would say by the late 60s, it was clear to people that a, a really crucial distinction was between the problems that require exponential scaling 
and the problems that allow for polynomial scaling. Okay, so polynomial scaling would mean I use a number of steps that grows only like the size of my input raised to some fixed power, okay. such as two or three, for example. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, if, if I have an algorithm that takes n to the 10,000 times, mm -hmm. you know, n being uh, the size of the input, yeah. okay, then, then you know, uh, technically that would also be polynomial. You know, yeah. even though you know no one no no one would ever pretend that that yeah. was fast in practice, right? Yeah. But uh, um, you know, but, but then then on the other side of this chasm are are the problems that inherently require an amount of time that grows exponentially with n, right? Such as two to the n, for example, or you know, it could be even worse, you know, n factorial, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, now, you know, it, it's complicated. You know, there are you know, you can be intermediate, you know, between these two. Okay, like you know, n to the log n power would be yeah. would be an example, right? You can you know you can have mild exponentials and you can have you know as I said you can have brutal polynomials. Mm -hmm. Okay, but empirically, what people found was that the problems that we care about you know in practice tend to organize themselves into you know first the polynomial ones that you know usually have a pretty mild scaling such as quadratic you know, or cubic at worst, you mm -hmm. know, and, and even if the first algorithm that's discovered is like n to the 10, usually if you put enough effort into it, you know, you can make that n to the five and then you can make it n to the four, right? You know, you can, you can, you can whittle down the exponent from, mm -hmm. from one year to the next. And so people, people got really, really good at that game. Okay, and then on the other side, there are the problems with exponential scaling. Okay, that have a sort of inherent intractability to them, right? And that's, you know, not just a contingent statement about, you know, this year's model of computers, right? Mm -hmm. that, that seems like something inherent, right? And now, you know, it, it, it could have been a priori that, that there would just be, you know, thousands of different hard problems, you know, that would have exponential scaling for thousands of different reasons, okay? But yeah. but now but now we get to you know the key discovery in the 1970s, which is that you know of the problems that have exponential scaling, almost always it's you know it's just for 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 one of the same few reasons, right? And this was this key discovery, which was called NP completeness. Okay, yeah. So what? Yeah. So now I'm good. I'm I wanted to get, um, you know, I want let's talk about P and NP. Uh -huh. Sure. Which, by the way, I, I actually, yeah. Anyway, let's let's talk about P and NP, which I think I only yeah. fully understood reading you as well. All right, sure. So so P well stands for polynomial time, and it's just the class of all of the problems that have an algorithm, you know, on a conventional computer yeah. that solves, you know, any instance of that problem, you know, mm -hmm. with with polynomial scaling okay yeah. so you can think of it you know loosely as the class of all of the efficiently solvable problems yeah okay so examples of problems in p uh would be um um you know i give you a a, a, a map and i ask you you know is every city reachable from uh, by every other city right like i give you a graph you know are, are all the vertices connected to each other Okay, um, you know, less less obvious examples. I give you an integer, you know, say written in binary. I ask you, is it prime or composite? Okay, it turns out that if you just want to know whether a number is prime, that can be done way, way more efficiently 
on a classical computer, then we know how to actually find the factors okay. if it's composite, oh, okay. right? So that's a you know that's a non-obvious fact, okay? Yeah. But uh, um, um, primality testing was yeah actually was discovered in two thousand and two uh, to be in P. Um, linear programming. So like I give you a system of linear constraints and I ask, is there a point that satisfies all of those constraints, right? Or, or you know, even simpler than that, solving, you know, I give you a set of linear equations. I ask, does it, you know, is there a solution? Like, is this matrix invertible or not? Uh, I give you uh, a list of boys and girls and which ones are willing to date which other ones. And I ask you, <laughs> can they all be paired off in a way where everyone is happy? That's called the perfect matching problem. Okay. And these so, kind of problems, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't resist this quote that you gave from hmm. Turing, which you just said, you know, it's not obvious that, I mean, it's certainly not obvious someone that knowing whether something's prime or not is going to be a lot easier than finding its factors. But he yep. said, the view that machines cannot give rise to surprises is due, I believe, to a fallacy to which philosophers and mathematicians are particularly subject. It is This is the assumption that as soon as a fact is presented to a mind, all consequences of that fact, fact spring into the mind simultaneously with it. It's a very useful assumption under many circumstances, but one too easily forgets that it is false. And if you ever yeah, tried, great, it is false. It, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it, it's a great quote. I mean, uh, Turing often had a, a, a excellent ways of putting things. But uh, uh, so, okay, so, so, so that was P, you know, that's the class of all the efficiently solvable problems. And, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, uh, undergraduates, you know, major in computer science, you know, uh, you know, in their algorithms class, you know, they'll learn, you know, many, many examples of problems that are in P and, and why they're in P. Right. Okay, but then there's NP, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, it doesn't stand for not polynomial. Yeah, which is what for a long time I always thought it was. That's what it stood <laughs> yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, right. Common, you know, uh, 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 issue. I mean, I mean, look, we're just not as good as at naming things as physicists are, right? <laughs> you know, you've you've got names like quark, you know, black hole, right? We're stuck with, you know, P and NP, but uh, but NP stands for non-deterministic polynomial time. And you could think of it as the class of all of the problems where there is a polynomial time algorithm that is an efficient algorithm for checking an answer to see whether it's correct or not, right? Not necessarily for finding the answer, but just for checking. For checking okay? if it's right. So, mm -hmm. so uh, uh, you know, so 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 factoring is an example of an NP problem. Right. Like it might, you know, if I give you a huge composite number, it might be incredibly hard to find its prime factors. But once you found them, you know, if, if someone uh, doesn't believe you, then, you know, it's Multiply. easy to convince them. You just show them the factors yeah. and, you know, with their computer, they can easily multiply them together and check that they work and they can even check that they're prime. Right. So uh, uh, so so we would say that factoring is an NP problem. Okay, but you know there are many other examples, like you know, so the famous traveling salesman problem mm -hmm. says, you know, I tell you the distance between each pair of cities, and now I ask, is there a route that visits every city with you know at most five thousand miles total or something mm -hmm. like that, right? And you know this might require some you know uh, enormous combinatorial search to find that path, but if you do, if you succeed at finding it, then it's very easy to check. You just add up the distances, yeah. right? And, you know, a huge number of games and puzzles have the same character. So, you know, Sudoku, 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, could, you know, many people have experienced that, you know, it can mm-hmm. take a while to solve, but it's easy to check, you know, jigsaw puzzles, okay? Uh, uh, you know, have the, have, uh, uh, have the same character, um, you know, and in fact, you know, now, now we get a little bit meta, but, but math itself has the same character, mm-hmm. right? If I ask you, you know, give me a proof of this theorem, right? Like since, you know, the work of Bertrand Russell and his yeah. friends a century ago, you know, we have known completely formal languages for expressing mathematics, yeah, yeah. right? Where even a computer can check the validity of a proof, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, 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 that still doesn't mean that the computer has, you know, has a way to find the proof in any reasonable amount of time, right? So, so if I ask like, is there, you know, I, I give you a theorem, like, you know, or, or a conjecture, you know, like the Riemann hypothesis or something. And I ask, is there a proof of it in this formal language that is at most, you know, uh, a billion symbols long, right? That's another example of an NP problem, okay? And so now we can already pose, you know, the central unsolved problem, the biggest of, problem, theoretical, play problem. of theoretical computer science for, the last half century, which is does P equal NP? Okay, so is, you know, is there a polynomial time algorithm to solve all of the NP problems? That is all the problems where you can efficiently check a solution. So one, we know one is a subset of the other. That's right. P is contained in NP. So, you know, if you can solve a problem yourself, then clearly you can also verify the solution, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, but but uh, uh, the question is, uh, uh, if you can verify a solution efficiently, then does that also mean that you can find a solution efficiently, right? And, you know, I, I, I like to joke that, like, if we had been physicists rather than mathematicians, mm-hmm. we would have just said, you know, of course not. Next question. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we would have declared that. P is not equal to NP is a law of nature, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe given ourselves Nobel prizes for its <laughs> discovery. And if later it turned out that P equals NP, well, then that could just be more Nobel prizes. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't quite so, go so far, but in any case, we might, we might do. And it, and by the way, what we, and this will come to the yeah. next half hour. What we yeah. might do as a physicist is say, I have other problems I can solve. I'm yeah. not going to worry about that one. Yeah, no, no, of, of course. So, you know, you, you can uh, chew, you know, and, and, and I mean, any, I mean, especially given the experience of the last half century, anyone yeah. could be forgiven for not choosing to spend their time on the P versus NP problem. <laughs> but it's got profound implications. Yeah. Yes. And I want to, in sort of, I, I want to lead them in, in, in directions, mm-hmm. really, it, it, the directions of what, com- what, A, what can computers do? Yes. And B, can they think? Ultimately, in my uh, mind, uh, yeah, sure, absolutely, no, but but to, to, just just to tie things up, I wanted okay. to say, you know, the, the key discovery that people made in the early seventies was that uh, you know a huge number of problems that 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 you know you might care about, including the traveling salesman problem, including uh, actually Sudoku puzzles. It turns mm-hmm. out, uh, uh, including you know finding a bunch of people, you know, uh, 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 in, a, in a social network that we're all friends with each other, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, uh, uh, minimizing the energy of like, you know, uh, like in, in, uh, of, a, of a folded protein. Uh, so, you know, uh, practical problems also, right? Uh, uh, um, uh, you know, a huge number of these problems actually 
you, you can prove that they are solvable in polynomial time if and only if p equals np, okay? So oh. each of these problems in, in itself individually encodes the entire difficulty of the p versus np problem, okay? That, th that was the non-obvious part, okay? And problems that have this property that they're sort of, you know, NP problems that are at least as hard as any other problem in NP. Mm -hmm. These are what are called the NP complete problems. Okay. And, and so what, what was discovered is that like, if you come up with some problem that involves like satisfying a whole bunch of different constraints, you know, that might conflict with each other. And, you know, you have some combinatorial explosion of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, of ways to set your variables. Like such problems will gener generally will be NP complete unless they have a very good reason not to be. Okay. okay now, now a, a factoring is an exception. Okay. Factoring is an NP problem that seems to not be NP complete. Right, right. So there, very no, there are factors. some non NP right. complete. There are, right. There are outliers. Factoring seems to be like in a no man's land between P and NP complete. But right? okay, now yeah. you gave some examples. So this sounds a yeah. little abstract for most people, but, okay. but let's bring it down to earth in a way, sure. in another way, yeah, yeah, sure. which is the reasons to think that P doesn't equal NP are, are mm -hmm. many from mm -hmm. a, as a physicist, let's say. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is the analogy that I like. So this is the idea of NP are problems that you can show, you can, you can verify the solution. You can verify it's good in a finite mm -hmm. time or in, polynomial mm -hmm. time, even if you can't solve mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But if that's equivalent to the problems that could be solved in a polynomial time, mm -hmm. then the analogy you use, well, there are a bunch of them, but one is, would be, so if, if anyone is able to appreciate a great symphony, they could also compose one themselves. So yeah. knowing it's great is, is the NP part. I can verify right. that it's great, but yeah. if it's equal to P, then I must be able to do it. And right. for those like of us who haven't been able to compose a great symphony. Be, right. I mean, I mean, I mean, most people's intuition would be like, you know, as soon as they understand the question, they'd be like, of course, these are different, right? Of course, yeah. you might need X. Or, you know, now, now, the tricky part is that there are problems like, you know, to go back to that example from before, like I give you a bunch of boys and girls, I mm -hmm. tell you who's willing to date whom, right? Mm -hmm. You have to pair them off so that everyone is with a partner that they like. Mm -hmm. That problem also seems on its face, like it would require an exponential search, mm -hmm. right? Like maybe that one is NP complete, but then it's not. There's a clever algorithm for it that lets you avoid the, you know, considering exponentially many solutions. Well, in fact, okay. it, yeah, it's really important. I want to go back. I want to say that a lot of times mm -hmm. you it, things just look so hard you give up. But mm -hmm. smart people, and one of them, one of them, which I think is really important, was the misunderstanding. You mentioned it in one of your articles, mm -hmm. which is evolution. That yeah. that one of the mistakes that people make who look for intelligent design, and and I forget which of the great mm -hmm. scientists made that mistake himself. I don't know if it's Turing, but uh, no, no, no. So, 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 Girdle had a quote. Girdle. I mean, it's yeah, not Girdle. that it's not that he didn't understand natural selection. He just thought he dreamed of proving a theorem that would say that it was vanishingly unlikely to have, you know, produced, you know, intelligent life in in a mere four billion years. Yeah, I mean, and that's and by the so, way, you know, still, was, that's still the was, obstacle. He was kind of a mystic. Now, I would I would not put very good odds on being able to prove that theorem because well, you know, yeah, exactly. I, that... I, mean, I mean, I think we're a counterpoint. <laughs> but but by the way, it's really yeah. important because there's still, I yeah. every day when I debate these people say, look how complex even a DNA molecule is. Yeah. You can't yeah. do that. 
And so mm-hmm. you 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 can't make the assumption just because something's complicated that it's impossibly right. complicated. That's right. No, I mean I mean Dawkins, you know, calls this the argument from personal incredulity, right? Yeah, yeah. Just because you can't see an efficient way for something to be found doesn't mean that there isn't one. And that was a lesson that computer scientists, you know, had to have seared into their consciousness from, you know, very early on, right? And that's why the P versus NP problem is so difficult. Right, because how do you rule out that there's some clever approach that just everyone has missed for half a well, century? Okay, so so yeah. I want to focus because again, there's yeah. so much we could talk about. Yeah, lack of time. Yeah. I want to focus on this idea of thinking. I wanted to. I want to focus on a Turing test. In principle, okay. a Turing test is kind of an NP kind of problem, right? Can I recognize that I might not be able to do it, but can I recognize mm-hmm. that a computer is a computer? Or 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 a thinking human being, and and well, and- okay. I mean, I, I would say you know what, what Turing was trying to do in this famous paper in 1950 was to give an operational criterion, right, by which you know we could decide whether to call something intelligent or not, right? Now, now technically, you know, he you know he he wasn't saying that it's an NP problem because you know after all he wasn't reducing it to a computational problem. He still needed a human judge. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and 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 you know, you know, Turing might have to believed, you know, I mean, Turing, you know, like like many people today might well have believed that there is nothing that the human brain is doing, you know, that can't be simulated by by a computer, right? But uh, but but in in formulating the Turing test, he still had the judge be a human being. Yeah, no, and 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 yeah. I'm 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 yeah, doing yeah. this with malice of forethought because I want to lead to yeah, AI okay. safety, fine. which fine. I think fine. which is re- related to this. Yes. I mean, okay, you know, AI, AI sentience. So let yeah, me yeah, ask yeah. you a question: um, If P does not equal NP, yes, does that imply that there's no effective Turing test that's possible? That there's no way to tell ultimately. People for a long time, you know, if you're interested in seeing if ChatGPT is intelligent, mm-hmm. if P is not equal to NP, there's no effective way that you can do it ultimately. So you I really don't, don't, I don't know if it's intelligent. I don't think it does, to be honest. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the question, you know, you know the, the, the technical question of P versus NP and the, you know, informal question of how do we recognize intelligence, right? They, they, they do interact with each other in some ways, right? But they're not the same question. They cut, they, they cut across each other in a kind of Well, you of know, the reason way. I'm asking is and, one of the yeah, things yeah. that upsets me about a lot of this yeah. AI safety stuff to begin with, but all and singularity mm-hmm. stuff, is how little time is spent on actually talking about what human intelligence is or sentience. And since yeah. we don't really understand that at all, we don't understand a consciousness. I wrote a book in the whole last chapter is about how little we understand consciousness. So sure. if we don't understand I, human consciousness, how can we well, be so concerned I mean, about... Anyway, I mean, I mean, all I mean, I mean, I would say all of that is completely true. Now, what you know, the people worried about AI existential risk, you know, they what they would say is that our our lack of understanding is not a reason uh, to uh, to be calm, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, they, you know, and and they, and they would say that you know the the uh, unbelievable success, you know, uh, in just you know scaled up uh, machine learning, you know, that we've witnessed over the past few years. You know, demonstrates that we don't have to deeply understand some, you know, facet of intelligence in order to be able to replicate it. 
in order to be able to replicate. But then the question yeah. is, is it you replicating it and yeah. being the same, or of course the the million dollars? Of course, dollar of course. Literally. But you know, if you are, you know, so so let's say you know, the, 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 there's a philosophical question yes. of like, you know, is the AI truly conscious? Is yeah. there anything that it's like to be the AI? How could we ever know that? But then there's also the practical question. What effects is this AI going to have on civilization? Yeah, right? And we'll get that. And, yeah, we'll get there in just a moment. What the AI risk people would say is that we don't have to answer the first question. Yeah, of course. To, but I want to deal with the first question about the second question. We get to the second right? question in the last half hour, which is- Yeah, a, yeah, 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 right. Okay. And no, but you could say that, that also what Turing was trying to do with the Turing test was also to pull apart those two questions in some sense. Yeah, he was yeah. saying, let's set aside the question of is the machine conscious? And let's just focus on this empirical question of can you build a machine that acts in a way that we cannot tell apart from the human? Yeah, I, 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 and, yeah. I, and I guess that's what my, that's why I asked is MP mm -hmm. not, mm -hmm. equal to, and not equal to NP. Yeah. Because I can yeah. imagine that, uh, you know, there's no, polynomial way there's no there's no finite time way in which you could do an algorithm by which you could distinguish whether the computer has solved what it means by being intelligent that's what right. i mean by it i mean I, you i could imagine p not equal to np would be a statement that it's plausible it's possible mm -hmm. That there is just simply no way to ultimately do the Turing test. That's why I asked you the question. Well, okay, but uh, so so I mean now 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 that I'm spending a couple of years, you know, moonlighting in AI, or, you know, uh, uh, you know work, working with OpenAI, yeah. you know, I am I am forced to get comfortable with the fact that 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 in AI you usually don't have formal definitions of yeah. the of the of the concepts that you want. And you know, and, and and you have to deal with them anyway, you know, because they are changing the world, right? Are changing and the world. so you know, you could say, you know, you know, even you know, without you know having a mathematical definition of 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 when is a machine intelligent and when is it not, right? You you know, you have to answer questions like you know, uh, how intelligent do we expect GPT five to be, you know? And we can try to operationalize that in various ways, like will it be able to get a gold medal? on the International Math Olympiad, right? Yeah, and, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and, and none of those questions will capture all the facets of what we care about, but, yeah. but, but at least, at least, at least they, they give us some empirical handle on it. Okay, now, right. now, now, P versus NP is a technical question, right? That, you know, it's, it's a profound one, but it's one that, you know, I think, um, um, uh, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, it's neither necessary nor sufficient. For you know, uh, uh, for for having human level AI, right? Because yeah, like yeah, you okay. could say, even even in a world where p is not equal to np, okay, you know that would mean that no computer program could you know uh, 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 sort of magically guess the answers to you know you know any well posed mathematical question, you know, where, whose answer is a, uh, can be efficiently checked, but you know that 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 wouldn't say anything about the impossibility of AI, because after all, we can't do that either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? No, and my right? point is, ultimately, it may just be a question of semantics to distinguish. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, no, no. And, but and, let me, I mean, let me can... ask you one last question yeah, on. before we hit sure. the heart of this. Uh, all right, fine. Um, which is, well, this isn't, maybe it's irrelevant. If it's irrelevant, we'll just do it in a minute, but right. it intrigued me. Sure. So you might say there are limits to, so human intelligence as a classical computer, or whatever you want to call it, can do certain mm -hmm. things, but it's limited and can't do th things that, um, you know, certain solve certain questions in polynomial time. But here's my question. If humans yeah. can build, if humans 
can build quantum computers mm. and quantum computers can solve in polynomial times, then they haven't essentially human intelligence solved the problem in polynomial time. Or is that just a yes? Yeah, well, well, okay. I mean, I mean, you you know, you could say that you know we are using maybe the way a computer scientist would say is that we are then using the physical world as an oracle uh, uh, to 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 do to do something that our that our unaided brains uh, could not. I mean, then again, all the time. You know, of course, of course, we already use classical computers in that way. Where we use oracles. telescopes. But, we use every every right, bit of science. But, right, but 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 you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, quantum computing, of course, also feeds into uh, the discussion of P and NP. So you know, there is what what my, my former advisor uh, Umesh Vazirani, what he did thirty years ago, is to define the you know the quantum generalization of the class P. Okay, so the class of all the problems that a quantum computer could solve in polynomial time, and that class we call BQP, bounded error quantum polynomial time, mm -hmm. right? And now you have a new set of questions to ask. One of them is, is P equal to BQP, right? And Shor's algorithm then, you know, which came a year later, gave some evidence that the answer is no. It said, if, you know, P can only be equal to BQP if factoring numbers is, is in P. Right, because mm -hmm. you know factoring, you know, uh, Shor says yes. is is a BQP problem. Okay, but then we could also ask the question: What is the relationship between NP and BQP? Right, and we still don't know. We don't know that either of them is contained in the other. Okay, so they could just be incomparable. Okay, but you know, when you ask, is NP in BQP? That's just another way of asking, could quantum computers solve NP-complete problems in polynomial time? And, you know, so so we, of course, we don't know, because, you know, we don't even know if classical computers can do it. So how could we know, you know, uh, uh, prove that quantum computers can't? But, you know, it's generally believed today that the answer is no. Okay, that for NP-complete problems, quantum computers, they can get that square root speed up from Grover's algorithm, mm -hmm. but probably not more than that. Right. And that does not reduce exponential to polynomial. OK, for those who have borne with us for this long, <laughs> let's let's let where we I mean, we, I hope now, I think they're fascinating questions. But but the question hmm. that now is in the minds yes. of everybody All is right. Terminator, the the few our future. And yeah. and you uh, had decided and I, and I was going to spend more time into and mm -hmm. you've written about how you got seduced into into going into this, you've taken e at least one year off and working for Open OA yeah, uh, uh, and AI. It, 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 it's now a second year also. Oh, so. you did? Okay, it, when it, I last read this. It, okay, it, so they should it, 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 it will be two years. And after that, I'll have to decide how to spend the rest yeah. of my life yeah. to go okay. back to quantum but computing. You have been, so you've yeah. been drawn onto the dark side. Um, and, and I don't know and, if it's the, I mean, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the safety team. Yeah, I know it's the light side. I'm joking. <laughs> um, and anyway, this question of, that you know, I signed a petition about ChatGPT because, and, and by the Which way, I, wasn't, I, I should tell you where I'm coming from. I'm nowhere. I'm a, kind of like you. I'm not even a reformed um, alignment person. I'm kind of a, a agnostic alignment person in the All sense right. that I um, I'm not as worried as many people are. I'm more interested in what AI can do than being worried about it destroying humanity. But mm -hmm. but there's no doubt that there are are these questions. And um, and uh, and so you're right that that you that one needs to look and and I, the reason I signed that ChatGPT thing was not because I was worried about it 
Well, so when, I was worried it was which being thing trained did to be you too sign? long. Was it the six month? Was it the call for the six month? Pause? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a call okay, for that, I agree because yeah. at the time I even wrote an article about how woke it was, and I was a little upset about that. It wasn't me. No, no, no. Right. The, the, the main people advocating for this—they're, they're, you know, the I, I, I can, I can assure you that the woke people hate them, and vice versa. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, no, exactly. Uh, but you also point yeah. out, well, actually, kind of interestingly, you say there's two aspects to AI safety. There's the, there's the AI ethics groups. And there's the AI yes. alignment groups, and you point out that they hate each other. Yes, think, that's right. And it does. And you did. And you use the example that I use in many other cases, which is the uh, People's Front for Geneva, which is <laughs> People's Front for, for, yes. for Monty yeah, Python's exactly. uh, Life of Brian. Exactly. Why don't Why don't Why don't in the little in the twenty minutes we have left or so? Yes. Mm-hmm. Why don't you describe briefly AI alignment versus ethics, and then I want sure. to talk about alignment and ChatGPT a little bit, and sure. then I do want to talk about. The two things you've been working on, which I find are fascinating, which is sort of watermarking right. and 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 backdoor uh, all right. kind of ways all to right. control things. All right, sure. So, um, you know, I, I would say that 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 AI ethics is is the the field where people are mostly worried about you know current or or very near term AIs being used to generate misinformation. Uh, to uh, uh, you know, entrench the power of some groups over other groups. Uh, to uh, uh, you know, uh, um, 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 you know, uh, 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 um, output you know biased answers uh, to be used for political propaganda campaigns, uh, things like that. Um, and then AI alignment uh, is is the the field where people are worried about you know how how do you. Uh, uh, get a, a really powerful AI to be aligned with our values. So, you know, if you imagine that AI, you know, at some point just becomes able to do pretty much everything that, that we can do, you know, better than we do, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Then, you know, you you imagine that that at some point it, it is it is basically to us as we are to orangutans, mm-hmm. right? And then, well, you know, how well do we treat orangutans, right? Well, they, you know, yeah. they mostly just, survive in a few zoos and jungles at our, at our pleasure right yeah so 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 you know how do you get a, a super intelligence you know to you know prioritize human welfare or to you know to uh, to value humanity at all okay and so so the ethics people are mostly concerned about some people using ai as a tool to you know get power over other people or becoming right? racist whereas, or not racist whereas whereas yeah. the alignment people are mostly concerned about like all of humanity is, you know, is in this together against the, you know, okay, so, so a, let, a future AI. And, and they're both real worries. Let me not minimize yeah, one. That's right. I, I that's right. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't regard either as absurd uh, 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 things to worry about at all. And, you know, I, I sort of wish that we were able to, you know, have a scientific field of AI safety that could address uh, the full range of things that you but, might be worried about. But it's not a, but the point is, it's not really a fully scientific question which is interesting, which is the reason you stayed away from it. And um, well, and I mean, and- I, mean I, 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 I usually, you know, like was able to do the best with questions that I could formulate mathematically. Right. Well, and, I mean, that's and, the way it is physics. You know, you, you know, you, yeah, you, know, you, you, was- you got to my, you know, my PhD supervisor once told me, don't think work, but, 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 <laughs> yeah. but the well, point right, is that right. in physics, graduate students and students want to solve these big problems, but, but, the, but first, you have to solve the small problems, and 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 the best thing to that's do right. is to solve a problem that's actually solvable. 
or at least yes. which you can formulate. And you know what the problem yeah. is, which is yeah. itself no, a major. No, and, no, and so your point was, absolutely. which I think is interesting, is that is that for a long time, these things were quite theoretical. And I have to say, I attended a bunch oh. of the early meetings. Were you at Asilomar? Mm. I can't, maybe we met each yeah. other. And anyway, I went to Asilomar and I heard these meetings about, you know, AI and all the worries that the philosophers had. And it was a lot of talk. And I just sort yeah. of felt it was just talk. But yeah, well, chat JPT and, and the new things you've pointed out to you that, I'm sorry, I'm leading you through it, but I want to get to it before no, it's you. Fine. It's I fine. believe, um, is, you know, hey, here's a, here's a, here's a, empirical example and now yes. we can ask empirical questions and maybe yes. make empirical progress instead of just yes. talking yeah is yeah. that fair yeah that, that 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 is very fair i mean no as soon as i saw you know gpt3 which was you know during the pandemic right mm -hmm. it was you know like the, the, i think at the time there were people saying oh this is just another chat bot this is yeah. like eliza from the 1960s yeah but you know i knew you know i i tried eliza and i tried yeah. this and it's clear yeah. that this is a phase change in you know the capabilities that the that, that humans have i think the only you know, technological thing in my lifetime that produced, you know, a similar feeling in me was, you know, when I first saw the internet, you know, as a, you know, or the web as a 12 mm -hmm. or 13 year old. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it, yeah. it is, but it is and it isn't. I mean, yeah. well, well, let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's get around. If we don't get to it, you and I both agree. And as is everyone, but one person, the chat GPT is not thinking. And and uh, it's not uh, well, well, wait, wait. I mean, no, that 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 it all depends what you mean by thinking. I mean, well, it's not. I, I don't. I don't. I don't personally regard it as conscious or as conscious. sentient. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Although, 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 even even that, I don't think it's as obvious as many people make it out to be. But you know, I don't. I don't personally regard it as sentient, right? But you know, thinking. Well, that, you know, that all depends what you mean by thinking. Okay, I meant sentient. I didn't yeah, mean. Yeah. Sentient. Okay. 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 Yeah, I yeah. used the wrong word. But let me okay. let me step back a, a bit because yeah. one of the things that I still don't understand about this alignment thing, I mm. remember the very I remember a, a well two well known philosophers get up on stage and say we have to you know like make Asimov's rules we have mm. to make sure that computers are aligned with human values. Yes. And both me and Jeffrey Sachs got up at the same time. The economist Jeffrey Sachs, I don't yeah. know if you know him. Yeah. Said, what oh, yeah. do you mean by human values? Right. I don't know what no, human values are. Of course. So what the hell? If you want to look at human values by seeing what's right. happening in the world, you won't find any human values. Right. So what are we talking about when we talk about alignment? Of course, of, of course, there's the question of whose values, you know, and that, yeah. and that's not that's not that's not lost on any any anyone who has seriously thought about this. Well, right? some people, some uh, people who were pretty but, serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but uh, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, we we can we can just. Uh, crunch, you know, we, we can put this in very practical terms, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, what should, you know, a company like OpenAI be doing? You know, you know, they don't want to unleash something that's going to, you know, be horrible for the world, right? You know, I guess but, the point uh, is that the only you know, human you, you value can, we can... You can now ask, you know, there are, there are, you know, immediate, you know, already now sort of moral questions. Like some people think, you know, we, there's a moral obligation to open source, you know, yeah. these models, like give anyone access to them, let them tinker with them so that they're not in the control of a few companies. Other people think that that's utterly insane. It's like that it would be like open sourcing thermonuclear weapons. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and no, like we have to keep these things under very tight control. Right. So, you know, they're like, like, you know, you may not be able to scientifically answer a moral question, and yet it still doesn't relieve you from having to answer it. 
Yeah, you, exactly. You, yeah. you you said yeah. a lot. Life isn't scientific. If it was, we'd all be scientists, and the world would be an easier place to deal with. Yeah. But yeah. but we. Could I mean, yeah. Say, you, you hope that you hope you do hope that science can inform these questions. Yeah, course. yeah. You you do hope that's so. Where, and, that's where that's where AI safety comes in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You you, you do yeah, hope yeah. that, and I get become yeah. more pessimistic over time. But mm -hmm. but um, one could say though that you know the only that a you clearly a universal human value is to preserve humanity so it doesn't end but if you say that then it's clear we do things that you know we built nuclear weapons um, yeah. so it's not clearly a universal human value but yeah but so, what, so, so i mean one 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 idea that the uh, uh you know like the uh, um, um you know eliezer yudkowsky who was sort of like the you know the the prophet of, of this area you know that he, he yeah. likes to talk about is called coherent extrapolated volition which basically means, you know, what you would really like once you have the super intelligent AI is not to tell it, you know, just copy the values that you see humans, you know, uh, uh, enacting, you know, in 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 real life. That would be terrible. What you want, what you want to tell the AI is sort of like simulate the humans, you know, having a moral philosophy seminar for ten thousand years, you know, where they would refine their their intuitions and get better and better and go through, you know, 10,000 years of the same process that led us, you know, uh, to abolish slavery and to, you know, give women the right yeah. to vote and all these things that we, you know, that we all regard as moral progress and, and simulate that process until it reaches some termination point. And then whatever values, you know, your simulation ends up with, then those are the values you should enact. You know, that's, you know, that, 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 I mean, I mean, that, I mean, that even that idea can be criticized as well, but, but, you well, know, of course you could it, say they are, you could argue that that moral progress has led to a civilization that ultimately is bad for the planet. And you might say that the best, the ultimate end of that is to say, well, planet's going to be better off if there aren't humans on it. You might, you might argue that that's illogical. And I mean, if you're thinking about, right, right. Say, in I terms mean, of right. talking I mean, about effective altruism, I know you lectured to, I just had, did a podcast with, with Peter Singer and, might mm. say that if you're if you really think the that the 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 well-being of all animals is equivalent mm. And you mm -hmm. might say, well, then, you know, the human well-being conflicts with that. And, and Yeah, I mean, you, you, you could also imagine an AI that would reason that, you know, if humans survive and they colonize the galaxy, then they are more likely than not to become a scourge of the galaxy that will, you know, wipe out all the other civilizations. And therefore, you know, the whole, you know, universe will be happier if it, if it, if it, if it, if it, if it kills the humans, right? And uh, so, you know, now, now you know, I, I don't, you know, uh, um, you know, I think I think that there is progress that can be made in making it, you know, AI's uh, safer in the more immediate, you know, yeah, uh, and you, well, I want to talk uh, about uh, those without immediate... without needing to answer these cosmic uh, those big questions. And, and in yeah, fact, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always amazed that people, just as I'm amazed when people see something they don't, they don't understand the sky, they decide it's aliens, and I'm going to have to do a debate mm -hmm. on that later this month. Yeah, but but also automatically, whenever they think of an quote unquote intelligent AI, they see Terminator. Mm -hmm. They always see a dystopic future. They never see mm -hmm. a future in which where human life is in many ways better or could be better. Just oh, as, I, know, I mean, look, I, I mean, I mean, I, I certainly think about the good outcomes, right? Yeah, I know exactly. I mean, I, it's, it's, even, it's even it's even possible. I mean, I mean, you know, if we think about 
previous te technologies, right? Like, like uh, you know, like so, like some people say, well, well, you know, the internet has, uh, you know, has ushered us into a dystopian reality, right? But, but it's, I don't know what I what, I what I what I want to what I want the internet to have never been invented. You know, I'm I'm not at all sure of that. No, no, I mean, you know, so like. Some people said, you know, like like after 2016, they said, well, look, the original promise of, of the internet was that it was going to, you know, democratize, you know, speech and and uh, give, you know, everyone, you know, the ability to, to say with what, what you know what they wanted and to influence, you know, the national conversation. And it delivered on that promise. And the only problem is that what a lot of people want is absolutely horrifying. Yeah, yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, it's like saying, I mean, well, I know, you know, this. There's a lot of information and misinformation, but yeah, but but what? But you can't deny that, you know. And when I'm out, well, I was just on the tube in London, yeah. and, and I remember me being in Japan 30 years ago, where everyone mm -hmm. was staring at games. Now, that's mm. never going to be us. But of course, no one can be on the tube without <laughs> right. the phone. You might say that's bad, but on the other hand, look at what they can do, and look look yeah. at what you can do. So so yeah, um, you so, know, it's an, it's it's two sides of the same coin. But, yeah, but, but right, um, but 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 I think even even the people who are who are the most Doomerist. like they completely agree that you know that that you know they, they are generally pro-technology right and they think yeah. that, that that ai will will make life amazing before it kills us all. before it you kills know. us now but you if we don't get it right you let's know, that, let's that, there's that, some reasons that, for that hope tends to be their position right? there are reasons for hope and i want to try and end on an upbeat yeah. note i agree i agree one of them you point out, which I think is really important, is that the big concern is that there's a phase transition, that somehow things are yes. moving along, then suddenly, you know, it's like in Terminator, suddenly, you know, uh, one AI learns how to lie and, and you know, and, mm -hmm. and you point out, and this is very important. that the, I mean, in, in some sense, our current, current language models can already lie. Right. Yeah, yeah, they can lie, yeah. and but yeah, they, yeah. yeah, of course they can, and they lie in silly mm -hmm. ways, as you point out, mm -hmm. as well as good mm -hmm. ways, and and you mm -hmm. can often trip them up on as a result. But right, right. but no, but like you, lie. you can give them a goal, and they can figure out to lie in pursuit of that. Yeah, goal. yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, here's yeah. the point. But do it in a way where anyway. So here's yeah, yeah. the question: yeah. is is um so now uh, um but you point out, and this is important, that if you look at empirically, mm -hmm. what's happening is as they learn, as you say, it's like your students. You get it's not there's a face range. You see them make the mistakes as they're learning. It's mm -hmm. not as if they're going. They surprise you and suddenly having learned uh, integral calculus when before the day before they were learning how to add. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and 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 uh, yeah, yeah, no, they do. They they are sort of progressing through the curriculum. Like a couple years ago, they were in you know elementary school maybe in terms of their ability to do math problems. Now they're in high school or undergrad. They're still not in grad school. Right. But, you know, but but like you could say that progress has been continuous, but it's also been extremely fast. Right. And so so, you know, well, like one one confusing thing about this discussion is that every phase transition right, is actually continuous if you zoom into it closely. Yeah, enough, yeah closely. Right. And so, you know, something could be technically continuous. And yet on the scale of a human lifetime, it could feel like a phase change. I think physicists and, you know, would I say like that, that, that that might be the situation. Physicists that we're in would say right that's now. not quite true, though. First order phase transitions really are. Oh. But anyway. Um, well, but right, yeah, right. anyway, but uh, but OK, so that's a, a cause for hope. But there's a statement you make. I wish I could spend a half an hour on this instead of 10 minutes. We've talked about one of the reasons for optimism. Another is another reason for pessimism, which interesting quote from you. I think that for better or worse, we're going to see real harm from AI. We're going to see them used, unfortunately, to help plan terrorist attacks to do really nasty things. But those things at least will be far short of the destruction of civilization. So there will be some bad 
there will be some bad. And that's one of the reasons you've gotten involved. That and the fact that you can empirically do things. Why don't you talk briefly in five minutes about watermarking at the very least? Sure. Okay. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, in AI safety, like you're constantly asked to prognosticate, like what yeah. you know is going to happen, you know, twenty or thirty years from now, and I, I, I can't do that. Like, you no know, one can. If, 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 if I, I could argue. do that, I wouldn't be a professor. I'd be an investor, and I'd yeah, I'd yeah, yeah. Right? Even investors but, do it. Uh, they get lucky. But you know, I, I was, I was happy that, that you know, uh, 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 in summer of 2022, that at least I was able to see three months ahead. Yeah. Okay, so before chat GPT came out, like I had this moment of terror, where I was like, Oh, my God, like every student is going to be using this to cheat on their homework, aren't yeah. they? Or yeah. at least they're going to be sorely tempted to right. And, and, you know, I, 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 I get all of these trolls on my blog, you know, some of whom put incredible energy into their their, 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 their craft, I yeah. guess, right? But I'm like, wow, this is gonna make, you know, attacking every discussion forum on the internet so trivial to do, right? You know, the, the, the Russian government, for example, could spam every comment section with pro-Putin propaganda, yeah. you know, yeah, that, yeah. You know that, 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 that seems responsive to whatever came before it, right? And you don't even need a building full of people to, to do this, right? Yeah. You just uh, you just, just just have GPT do it for you. And so then, you know, for all of the, you know, and, and, and you could also have GPT impersonate someone, right? If you have enough examples of, of, of someone's writing, you could say, produce more writing in the same style where this person confesses to a crime, yeah, right? Yeah. Or, you know, you could, uh, uh, you know, try to whip up a campaign to get someone fired, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, you know, so, so all of these different misuses all involve concealing the fact that an AI was involved, right? And I just thought, you know, if you could only make the outputs of a large language model detectable as such, right, then that would simultaneously address all these different misuses. Yeah. Okay, so, so how do we solve, you know, what, what's now called the, the provenance problem or, or the attribution problem, yeah, yeah. right, of what came from a, a language model and what did it? You know, and there, there are different approaches that you could imagine. I mean, one approach, which actually has been tried over the last year, is to treat it as yet another AI problem. So you just train a discriminator model mm -hmm. to say, you know, you know, did this text come from a human or did it come from a language model, right? And, yeah. and you know, you can get, you know, maybe 90, 95% accuracy with that uh -huh. sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, you, there's, there's still too high a risk of false positives, mm -hmm. right? Where like, like people were having fun, like, where, like with some of these discriminator models where like they would say that passages from the Bible or Shakespeare were probably uh, GPT generated, yeah. right? And, you know, and, and, and okay, but, but if you, you know, uh, uh, um, 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 you know, are, are, if you're, discriminator model is falsely accusing students of using GPT to cheat, right? Yeah. And that's a huge problem, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, we've, and, and we've already seen some of that in the last year. Okay, now a second approach would be, you know, as long as the models are controlled by just a few entities like OpenAI, Google, Anthropic, mm -hmm. then they could just store all of the outputs they generate in mm -hmm. some giant database, and then they could let people make queries against that database yeah. you know you know is, is this a match for anything that you have generated now it's 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 not obvious how to do that in a way that would appropriately reassure people that their privacy is is being yeah. preserved 
right? That, that, uh, 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 that's the main drawback there. Okay, so then I got interested in a third approach, uh, which is called statistical water market. Okay, and this is where you slightly change the way that the language model operates. So you're not going inside the neural net and fiddling with the weights, okay? But you are, um, you know, like, like so, 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 so how does a language model work, you know, to step back, right? It, it, what it's doing, you know, it's this big neural net, you know, called a, a transformer neural net, mm -hmm. but uh, it, uh, it's constantly taking as input a context, which is, let's say, you know, the previous thousand or so words, you know, which could be either, you know, the user's prompt, or it could be the words that it itself has, has already generated, yeah, right? Okay. And it feeds those in. And then what it outputs is a probability distribution over the next word, okay? Or technically the next token, you know, it could be a punctuation mark, uh, you know, numeral, whatever. What happened in normal operation is just that you sample from that distribution. Right. Uh -huh. So you, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, people may have noticed that like you can submit the same prompt to GPT over and over and get a different output each time. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and people like that, right. It's, it's, you know, the model is inherently probabilistic. Okay. Mm -hmm. But now we could imagine doing other things. Okay. You know, already in, in, in GPT as it now exists, there's a parameter called the temperature. Right. And if you set the temperature to zero, then what you're telling GPT to do is always pick the token with the highest probability. Right. So in that way, you're making it deterministic. Yeah. Okay. But now with, with watermarking, uh, you would do yet another thing, which is you would uh, use this probability distribution. Okay. But generate the next token in a pseudo random way. Okay. A way that looks random, that looks, you know, to any ordinary user like this is just you know regular gpt output but secretly you know you're using a pseudo random function to pick the next token and and you're doing it in a way that biases some score like some sum over all the tokens yeah. you know over all the the uh, uh pairs or you know trigrams or whatever of, of tokens mm -hmm. of some score which you know if you know the key of the pseudo random function and you have the text in front of you, then you can calculate that score. And you'll see, given enough words, given enough tokens, that score will just be systematically larger in a watermarked output than it will be in an unwatermarked. Uh, it's okay. great. And, so, and, the, and the virtue of that, by the way, is, as you point out, that if you just change a few words, it doesn't change anything because you're looking that's right, large that's right. numbers of- So yeah, exactly. So we have an, a, an approach that is indistinguished, you know, where it produces output, that is, you know, to, to the end user would just be indistinguishable from normal GPT output. And, you know, it produces this, this watermark where, you know, you can, you can be, you know, like with, with, with a few thousand words, you could be statistically certain basically that, yeah, you know, this came it's from great. GPT. Even, even with a few hundred words, you're pretty confident and it's robust to local modifications. Yeah. Okay, now, now what it, what it's I, I I I have to be honest here. Okay, what it's not robust to, you know, the problem that we don't know how to solve is, for example, you know, a student asks GPT to write their term paper, but in French, yeah, and, and then they, they put it into Google Translate, yeah, right, or or even they ask G, you know GPT to write their term paper, but you know, insert a random number of exclamation marks between each word and the next. 
you know, and then they take them out, right? And, you know, and, yeah. and GPT-4, unfortunately, you know, is smart enough that it can usually follow such instructions, right? And, yeah. you know, I think that in order to, you know, have something that's robust against all of that, we're going to have to figure out how to watermark at the semantic level. Like not, you know, which, which, which would mean going inside of the neural net and doing something to the weights. Okay. Well, um, okay. Yeah. And okay. So I, I look, I, I, I just, it's a small insight into some things you're doing, but what's great about mm -hmm. it is it's real. It's not talk. And it, and, and just so mm -hmm. people feel, look, there yeah. are people like you who are actually thinking about how to do these things, which is important. Now mm -hmm. I want to yeah. end with the last question. Um, okay. Because this is the one I use a lot when I've written about. Yeah, it. I, I was going to say the, you know the 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 alignment people would say that that you know watermarking you know is a band aid and like a yeah a, I know a they're going to the world is over a true super a true super AI will will laugh it off like so much you know tissue paper and yeah and, absolutely and they, and, and and they might well be right they might be okay? right but it's baby but, steps but you know the hope the hope is that at least we can learn something you know yeah at least and it's baby steps get... you do what you can do yeah, exactly you don't exactly. try anything then all you're doing yeah. is wait is putting your head in the sand and saying, wait for no. it to be over. Um, yeah, no, and I should say, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the only one who's trying to do something. I mean, you know, okay. I have lots well, of colleagues at OpenAI anyway, who are trying this, lots of other things. But this is speaking yeah, of the I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited that AI alignment is now, you know, at least partly an empirical subject. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as yeah. well, I, I think when I hear you yeah. talk about it. When, yeah. But speaking of the aligned problem and the doom, uh, there's another, there have been many times, a number of times when people have looked at technologies and said, this is the end of the world. Mm. And one of the earliest ones, which intrigued me when I first learned about this, and I've written, this is what I wrote about in my last book at the end, is when in the eighth century or ninth century in Greek, uh, BC in Greece, the introduction of the alphabet mm. and writing came along. Yes. And everyone, Plato, and others argued that it was the end of storytelling. It was the end mm -hmm. of storytelling because people wouldn't remember things anymore mm -hmm. and they wouldn't have face-to-face -face conversations. Mm -hmm. And so it was the end. And, and of course, most people, especially those of us who write, would say that writing actually has improved storytelling, at, the, at least mm -hmm. hasn't mm -hmm. hurt it. It's changed mm -hmm. everything and it changed what means yeah. to be human. It really changed yeah. what it means to be human. You spend a lot of yeah, your time arguably, reading. Arguably, yes. But, yeah. And so, so AI is going to change what it means to be human, but that's not such a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, what, I mean, what, I, mean what's I think, your I think you know, like, like, you know, the, 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 the lower bound on, you know, how transformative AI will be is that it will merely be like writing, like the printing press, you know, like the computer itself, right? It will merely be another, you know, transformative technology that, you know, does destroy, you know, the old world, you know, the world as it was before that technology existed, you know, but then there's a new world and, and we adapt to it, right? I think, you know, the one thing people are worried about that could be different about AI is like with every previous technology, you know, you could point to, okay, but obviously you still need humans for X, yeah, yeah. right? Like, you know, the printing press, you know, it, you know, it, it copies all the books, but obviously you still need a human to write the books, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the, you know, you know, with every previous thing you could say, you know, but this is what you still need the humans for. And, and, and after AI, you know, if, if you truly have a human level, you know, AGI, then it's not obvious that there's any answer to that question anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the last, the really last question is, are you optimistic or pessimistic? Um, 
I mean, I am, I, 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 I often tend to be a, a pessimistic person. I mean, maybe it's just because, you know, I was, you know, like, like, the, you know, one, one, one of the first things I learned about, you know, as a child was, was, was the Holocaust. And that just sort of set my, you know, yeah. <laughs> my, 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 my mental template for, 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 for what the world is like. Um, uh, but, you know, it's never obvious to me which are things to be pessimistic about. Right? There's so many. Like of it, them. May, it may not be, you know, <laughs> you know, AI that gets us in the end. It may be something much more pedestrian. But, uh, you know, but like on a on a on a day to day level, you know, I'm 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 often pretty happy, right? I mean, well, I, you know, I I, I so, want to. I've said this. Yeah. People have heard me say this before. I want to give you this because it changed my life when I hmm. first met Cormac McCarthy, ah. my friend, the writer, and he yeah. was such an upbeat guy. And mm -hmm. I'd read his books, and I feel mm -hmm. like the road or Old Country Old Man, and the others. Mm -hmm. And I said, how come, how can you be so upbeat? And he looked at me and he said, well, I'm a pessimist, but that's no reason to be gloomy. And I, think that's, that's, <laughs> I love that's that motto. Yeah. And I hope it, look, that's all I good... can say is I'm a little more optimistic about the world because there are people like you in it. And oh, thank you so well, much. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. It really, and I'm saying it to right. my heart. So it's been a pleasure. And, uh, and we yeah. can spend a lot more time and I could learn a lot more. And I hope that people have, and thank you for taking the time. And Scott, I hope to, see you in real life somewhere but you take care and keep yeah keep up yeah like uh, take care and thank you for having me on your podcast oh it's it's right. been my pleasure i hope you enjoyed today's conversation this podcast is produced by the origins project foundation a non-profit organization whose goal is to enrich your perspective of your place in the cosmos by providing access to the people who are driving the future of society in the 21st century and to the ideas that are changing our understanding of ourselves and our world. To learn more, please visit originsprojectfoundation.org.